You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. everybody this is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the vhs era and improv news stories straight off the cuff and only sometimes in the buff to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies tv and games i'm josh i'm mike we were raised by rentals mike we are back from our journey into space with the xenomorphs <laughs> and the yaucha with our big alien day special in our last episode and I don't know about you, it's been a couple of weeks and I'm still exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Now that was uh, that was a lot of homework and a lot and a lot of uh, thinking power right there. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a lot of homework. It was a lot of movies to watch, a lot of planning. And you know, I, I like that this show typically is pretty off the cuff. And like I said, you know, maybe sometimes in the buff, you guys can figure out what episode <laughs> like recorded nude. You know, it's part of the fun, right? It's like an Easter egg. Right. Uh, I mean, maybe I am now. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? Who's to say? But yeah, I I do like the improv angle of the show. I mean, that's really, really our deal. And so it was really cool to be able to incorporate at least some of the, you know, off the dome nature uh, of our storytelling in the last episode, even though we were kind of forced to plan it all out ahead of time. So for this this episode, I wanted to do something that was like more improv. You wanted to do something that was like easier and more (laughs) lighthearted. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not as much homework. (laughs) Something that I, you know, I didn't have to watch, you know, nine to 13 movies. Well, there actually are kind of a lot of movies across this total franchise. I don't think I counted them, but uh, let's figure that out, Mike. How many movies are there that have featured spider-man featured spider-man or just spider-man movies Spider-Man movies like well there's the the sam raimi ones the first yeah so there's three of those there's two amazing so that's uh five and then three uh mcu so what eight total i think Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) i say there's the eight and then you have um i mean if we go back to other forms of media we have the old Japanese Spider-Man TV show. We have the really piss poor American adaptation of it. Um, We have multiple cartoons, you know, from like the old 1960s and 70s, like static animation, Marvel, like almost animated comic books they would put on TV. Uh, Then you have like Spider-Man, the animated series, Spider-Man Unlimited. Um, You have the MTV (laughs) Spider-Man. There was so many different Spider-Man cartoons over the years. Um, but yeah, I think eight, eight movies in total. He has popped up in a lot of other MCU movies. Yeah, that's true. And that's really cool to see. Plus, there's been other movies in the like Sony-verse, I guess, that are Spider-Man related, like Venom and Morbius yeah. uh, and Carnage or whatever that Venom movie was called. Uh, <laughs> um, Venom, let there be carnage. <laughs> There you go. Uh, Which it, actually wasn't bad. I will defend it. I still haven't seen it. I still want to. I do really like the cast, so I still would like to see. It's on my list of things. Uh, I actually was started watching through the Spider-Man movies again, um, 
and then decided, you know what? No, I don't want to do that. I don't want homework. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch a single one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I aborted it. Well, I was thinking this would be my chance to finally watch some of the stuff I haven't seen yet. Like, like that. Yeah. Uh, and Morbius, which, you know, I've heard bad things about, but I'm still curious. Uh, I, okay, I, I hate Jared Leto. I don't hate the movie, but I will say this. It is totally a complete nonsensical mess. Um, <laughs> Like, I don't hate it on the same level that I don't hate the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, uh, where as a film, it's fun. Like, I enjoy myself. As a movie about a character that I know stuff about, I don't enjoy it so much. And that's kind of where I am with Morbius. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's a really great segue into, like, the entire state of Marvel movies prior to probably Blade, you know, yeah. where there was Nick Fury and Punisher and Captain America <laughs> and Howard the Duck. And it seemed like every time that somebody tried to bring a Marvel character to the big screen. Hell, even with like the made for TV Hulk movies, it seemed like every time they've tried to bring something to the screen, something was way off. It was either the fact that they changed so many details seemingly uh, randomly, you know, um, Mm -hmm. or they, for budget reasons or for these reasons, because of the state of special effects at the time, they had to make changes or it was just like made for TV, so like no one gave a shit really, right? Or mm-hmm. there was this general thought or this general impression in Hollywood forever that like, oh, superheroes are for kids, you know? And yep. um, hell, I just watched a video today about the making of the Rocketeer movie, and that movie was in development for like 10 years because it went through so many different changes, almost entirely because – you know, Disney or whoever, somebody kept coming down and saying, well, it's got to be for kids, right? It's comic books. It's got to be for kids, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the filmmakers kept trying to make it more adult. And like even Dave Stevens, who created the Rocketeer, was like, you know, Betty Page is literally in the comic book, right? You know, Betty Page, <laughs> like the adult erotic model, is literally a main character in the comic. Like if you read it. You know, <laughs> it's full well, of no, like, mobsters and Nazis. It's for kids. I'm not a kid. I don't read it. Why would I read it? I just make the decisions. Oh, I hate. I hate it. I hate, I hate that it. shit. Well, and for years, you know, people kept trying to get a Spider-Man movie made, like a good one for a right. long time. There was always rumors going around that, you know, some movie or other like, Batman 89 or even the Rocketeer itself was Mm. proof enough that, oh, well, we can do these things now. And like, look at Batman. It was such a huge hit. And now, you know, we're going to make all these comic book movies. And it's funny because, again, the video I watched today on YouTube, it it was funny because uh, they pointed out the fact that Hollywood, for some reason, didn't go from like Batman into like, hey, let's make spider-man or superman or wonder woman they didn't go to like the other big superheroes everybody knows it was like they either went to really obscure characters that no one had ever heard about Mm -hmm. or they went to like the underground comics and did shit like the crow and it was like why did you go to those ends of the spectrum when wonder woman is right there You know, and, and you know what I almost feel like it was, as I feel like Hollywood was doing that thing where it's like, 
we're we're not there yet. We're not ready for this uh, for this character. Like we can't do the special effects we want to do. So pick something that nobody knows and just stick it out there. You know, something we can completely change and morph to our own whims. Um, because you, you did get a lot of that. Like, I mean, you had stuff like the fucking shadow and like the phantom and like these, like the rocketeer you mentioned, like comic books or old radio serials or like, you know, there was a lot of that popping up, especially in the nineties. Um, but I feel like, like Batman 80, was it 89 that that came out? 89 or 88? Camera, 89. 89, 89 yeah. yeah um so you had batman 89 and it's like you know dc has always had a little bit of uh, a little bit more uh luck in in cinemas uh back in the day before before like the late 90s early 2000s dc was the one getting movies into theaters like you had uh, the superman movies you know you had the the batman movies that those did well they they pretty much sold Whereas Marvel, it was like direct to television and direct to VHS with stuff like the Punisher and that Captain America that just was like supposed to come <laughs> to theaters. But they were like, we got Italian Red Skull and Rubber Ears. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, put it on video. You know, that. <laughs> then we had shit like, you know, the made for TV Nick Fury and the made for TV Gen X movie, which, oh, my <laughs> God, that was so bad. Um you know, we, we had all sorts of shit like that. We had the made for TV Captain America movie where he's got the see-through plastic shield, you know, and a motorcycle oh, yeah. helmet. The motorcycle <laughs> helmet. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> there was a lot of those types of movies with Marvel. Like, Marvel, they, they did well in the world of cartoons. Like, they had the X-Men cartoon, and everyone loved it, and the Spider-Man cartoon. And then DC was like, you know what? Fuck you. And we're, they come around with the Batman animated series and Superman animated series and just fucking crushed them, mm-hmm. you know? So... For the longest time, it wasn't until Blade that Marvel really started to get their shit together. I mean, the biggest Marvel movie we had prior to Blade was Howard the Duck. I mean, (laughs) seriously, let that sink in. Everything else was straight to video or straight to television or just canceled altogether like Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. Howard the Duck was the biggest Marvel movie until 1998. That's crazy. crazy. <laughs> and it is. And you mentioned you mentioned something important, too, which is that Hollywood for the longest time would never be faithful to the comic book source material. And right. we we bitched about this on one of our rental rent episodes where it's like, why are you adapting something that mm-hmm. already has a built in audience of thousands or millions and yet deciding that you, some single person, some director with a vision, that somehow your ideas are better than the shit that people already like. Millions of people already like it. Yep. And, and you want to put your stamp on it. And because they treat these comics like they're just a starting point. You know, like, oh, this is just a rough idea. You know, And you mentioned things like the spirit. Uh, and it's like, no, like that, that character has been around for decades has been mm-hmm. hugely popular amongst multiple generations and you know some hollywood you know upstarts gonna be like yeah but i can make it better it's like no no you can't and i think <laughs> yep. hollywood finally figured that out because now you see the current spate of like marvel movies for example 
and they're getting more and more and more loyal to the comics and taking more stories from the comics and oh, you yeah. know in, in some cases just taking like storylines or mini series just you know whole cloth and just putting them on screen and mm-hmm. they're successful and then it's like you know duh people come on like how long did it take you to figure that out and well, I think with something like Blade, it was like it wasn't exactly like the comic, but it was so close to the comic that the things they added were actual improvements rather than like arbitrary changes. Right. And I feel like be, with a comic like or with a, a property like Blade, the average person, you know, mom and dad have not heard of Blade, you know, so it's just like, oh, it's some action movie with Wesley Snipes and vampires. OK, cool. Whereas, like, everyone knows who Spider-Man is. Everyone knows who the X-Men are. Everyone knows who Superman is. So it's like, there wasn't as much of a risk doing it with a character like Blade, because it's like, well, if we fuck up, it's Blade. Who cares? Yeah, yeah okay. You know? It's a supporting and, character from Ghost Rider and Dracula <laughs> comics. Right. And I feel like that kind of idea, you know, permeated the the concept of comic book movies on the whole like yeah yeah, there were standouts like superman and 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 batman but on the whole it was like what can we get away with um that you know is based on a comic book that maybe people aren't going to care about or there's a there's a niche audience like ninja turtles you know the ninja turtles movie when that came out yeah, it was a lot of people knew it from the from the cartoons. They didn't even know about the comic book. So like myself included, like I was reading the comics as a kid, but I was reading the comics because I was reading the Archie comics based on the cartoon. So I eventually started getting into the Mirage comics. Like it was one of those things. I remember getting a Mirage comic and being really confused, then getting the Archie comics and then going back and reading the Mirage comics and being like, oh, OK, this is different. So when the first movie came out, like. I wanted Bebop and Rocksteady, and I was sad that that didn't happen. Um, you know, but it was based on the comic book, so you know, I, like it, it's an it's an indie movie, even though it was a huge property. But the film was based on an indie comic. You had a lot of that kind of shit, even in the early two thousands, because you had stuff like Ghost World getting its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of things like people didn't know they were based on comics. It was almost like dipping your toe in like. Do we want to open this Pandora's box? Like, I, I don't know if we want to if we want to go down this. And even when they did in the early 2000s, there was a lot of that. Well, how will it translate to screen? Like, even though they had faith in the property, they still didn't yeah. have full faith in the property. So you had stuff like black suited X-Men. You know, you yeah. had Green Goblin Power Ranger. You had this shit that, like, didn't quite work or didn't quite look like the comic. But, you know, whatever. It worked for the story they were trying to tell. Now, I just saw the newest Guardians of the Galaxy yesterday, and I, they're wearing the fucking costumes from the car, from the comic book, finally. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit, like, they're just straight up, like, that's how they drew it in the, in the, in the comic? Make mm-hmm. it work on screen. Yeah. And, like, there are so many examples of that in the MCU right now, where it's like, you know, fuck our, our, fuck changing it, like, just put what you saw on the page on the screen and make it work and yeah, and people will love it and all the the fans will like it even more mm-hmm. because it's loyal to the to, and you won't get that whole subculture of people on the internet who just bitch and bitch because oh they changed this and they changed the costume and that's not his right hair color or eye color or whatever and it's like <laughs> you know yeah you make everybody happy if you just film it just film it <laughs> yep exactly but you're right. So going back to the to the 90s, you know, more good examples of like 
there were movies based on comics, but people were almost afraid to let it be known that it was a comic because there was still the stigma of like, oh, no, 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 we're not Howard the Duck. You know, we're not Punisher. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. people, you know, I remember when like the Mask movie came out, nobody oh, had any yeah. idea. Or Men in Black is based on a comic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh the creator of that comic is famous on like Twitter for all the all these comments he's made over the years about how he's constantly trying to like tell people about like oh yeah the movie's based on this and this and this and like nobody believes him because nobody has any idea who he is because his, <laughs> his comic was like so obscure that like he has this whole like uh, cottage industry or whatever of just going on Twitter and talking about yeah this one time I overheard these people talking and I tried to tell them let them know and they told me to shut up and it's like because <laughs> nobody has any idea who he is <laughs> oh that kind of sucks <laughs> yeah it's, and his name is Lowell Cunningham by the way um, anyway <laughs> So I say, you know, before Blade, let's do something, uh, you know, with the Marvel property like Spider-Man in the 90s and see if we could come up with something like what Hollywood would have done at the time. And I think there needs to be some combination of Hollywood in the 90s would have made arbitrary changes or like budget restriction changes, but at the same time, you know, if we're in charge, what right. would we have done? Like, you know, we would have made the movie loyal enough that it would have been a hit. You know, like, again, and X-Men, I know, came out, like, what, 99 or 2000? Uh, 2000, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's a really good example of, like, it's loyal enough to the comics that people were happy with it. Mm-hmm. And they did make a lot of changes. A lot of those were based on budget. Um, so it's like, let's back it up a couple of years and talk about Spider-Man in the 90s. Um, let's just smack it right in the middle like 1995 it's funny you say that because i was thinking the exact same thing either 95 or 96 and i only say maybe 96 because of some of like the actors who were popular at the time because i definitely want to do like a fan cast (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely absolutely (laughs) but yeah i had 95 on my list too and and actually I, i had it for a specific reason not just because it was smack dab in the middle but because in 1995, in Wizard Magazine, the guide to comics that uh, I I recently described Wizard Magazine um, on Facebook as the MTV of comics in the 90s. And I, even though I didn't get a lot of engagement on that comment, I am impressed with myself <laughs> for, for thinking <laughs> of that. Because I was like, that's exactly what it was for comic books in the 90s. It was the tastemaker. It was the career maker. It was the pop culture source for like everything. It wasn't like just comics, you know, and, mm-hmm. but it was also very like, you know, whiz bang boom, you know, very flashy and, and, and very focused on like, you know, the pop in the pop culture, you know, um, absolutely. And in, ni- in 1995 in wizard issue 42, they did one of their casting call, um, Articles, which we we have totally just ripped off on the show in the past by doing our own like fan cast. Oh yeah, and it's because you and I both read these a lot when we were like teenagers. Yep. Um, and in, in this issue, they did a casting call for a Spider-Man movie, and this issue came out in '95. So I'm thinking this is the perfect anchor for the decade because I like some of the choices that they made. Some of them I think are ridiculous, and I think I have better ideas. Same. Um, <laughs> but I think it's perfect. Um. And the only other thing that I want to say about this being in the 90s is there was a rumor 
going around for years. And it was partially true that James Cameron was connected to Spider-Man, that he had mm-hmm. purchased the rights or his, his films production company had purchased the rights at some point. And of course, James Cameron, you, you know, became like the fucking God of Hollywood uh, after like T2. And of course, Titanic would have been after this, but I mean, he did the abyss and he just had like hit after hit after hit, you know, all the way back to Terminator, you know, um, yep. and aliens. And like, it's like, I'm, I'm mixing up the timeline in my head, but I'm like, Someone like that who literally like put money and investment into inventing special effects uh, and like hiring people who could do cutting edge stuff like the liquid metal. I mean, he was like the George Lucas of that time period, you know, just inventing new ways to make huge action, bigger than live action on the screen. So if James Cameron had made this movie in the 90s, we would have had a way to do the special effects with the swinging and the webs and, and all of that. Right. And, and honestly, it probably would have just been as simple as someone swinging, like a stuntman in a costume swinging from a rope that they would have just kind of like rotoscoped over top of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And someone like James Cameron would have been able to command the budget to, you know, pay a whole, you know, room full of people to go over it like cell by cell and like you know <laughs> right? hand paint in like the uh the, the webbing far lane spider you know uh, the spaghetti webs you know <laughs> yeah ex- exactly <laughs> oh I spaghetti webs i always love those <laughs> they look so weird they look so weird man people tommy farland doesn't get enough credit people make fun of him because of spawn and his toy company but like man he really you know broke he a did. lot of ground he yeah, pioneered he a lot of things I, I've always had a had a soft spot for McFarlane. Um, you know, it's like I don't care that he doesn't know how many teeth are in a human head or how many joints <laughs> a human body has. Like, damn it, I, I don't care if he thinks every human being has six knees. Like, it's it's fun. <laughs> I like <laughs> Yeah, we could go on and on about about how influential he was, you know, from comics to characters, specifically like Spider Man and Venom, and then of course with Spawn and the launch of Image Comics and creator rights and and mm-hmm. his, the the like revolutions and like toy design that he spearheaded or at least funded and his like uh, professional baseball investment career and his like <laughs> obsession with sports memorabilia. I mean the guy's all over the place, but so many uh, so many really like huge changes in those industries were all kind of spearheaded by him. He's a I, really influential guy, and I feel like he's kind of forgotten about to a yeah. certain extent these days. I mean, I, I do have to say one thing about him that I've always admired, even as a teenager, like one of the things that always made me really like McFarlane is he always kind of did it his own way. You know, there was a lot of like, oh, well, you can't do it that way. And him being like, well, why not? And be like, well, that's just just how it's done. You can't do it that way. And he's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it that way anyway. You know, like exactly. he did that. He did that with comics where it was like, you know, like and he even, he's told this story multiple times about like Spider-Man where he had this whole vision for a scene where, you know, basically Spider-Man like fights a racist and like, you know, the, he, he messes with the guy being like, how do you know I'm not black under this mask? And like, just really screws with this guy who like admired Spider-Man. And he was like, well, yeah, he's like, let, let's, let's do that. Like there's not enough black characters leading comics. So he came out with Spawn and Al Simmons, the main character was black. He's like, you know, fuck what the industry says. I'm going to do it my way. You know, same thing with the, the big two. He's like, I'm not getting what I want at the big two. Fuck it. I'm going to help found a company. You know, even when it came to animation, when he wanted like everyone else was doing Saturday morning cartoons and he's like, well, 
Spawn can't be a Saturday morning cartoon. I don't want them to give him mm-hmm. a talking dog and like he's like, no, we're not we're not <laughs> doing that. So he scoured around and he eventually made a deal with HBO and he's like, no, we're going to do an R rated made for adults cartoon that is going to deviate from the comic book even because it's going to go so much darker than the comic. So it's like the comic is meant for the teens. The the show is meant for the adults. You know, the toys are meant for the kids. Like right, he just, exactly. I, I don't know. I've always admired that about him. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And like I said, we could, man, we could go on and on. I got, I got stories about, and, uh, but anyway, so Spider-Man, even the look of Spider-Man in the nineties was really influenced by Tom McFarlane, right. To segue back into Spider-Man. He really popularized the big eye look for spider-man you know he yep. made, made the eye holes on his costume a lot larger than they his, had historically been and like i said i mentioned the spaghetti webbing because you know he would draw the <laughs> webs not just as like little strings or ropes coming out of spider-man's wrist but they would like twist and turn and tangle and they looked like like cobwebs you know but they were like yep. gooey and sticky looking and i i don't think that they've ever looked better and yeah p- people pretty much always draw the webbing in that way like he changed the design permanently um yep. but anyway so 1995 1996 maybe we have spider-man james cameron big budget let's talk about who we can get in our cast and i know it's a big budget movie but it's also a comic book movie and it's the 90s so <laughs> right I don't, know, I don't know that you're gonna get a-list stars i mm-hmm. think we're gonna i think we could get a lot of like b-list guys or a lot of like working actors maybe a couple of faces that would have been big in the 90s so i did my fan cast and i wasn't really sure who all to cast mm-hmm. because you know spider-man has a pretty he has a huge rogues gallery uh, right. all kinds of villains and i i didn't want to spend a lot of time like casting villains because we haven't made up a story for it yet <laughs> right so I thought, okay, I have this one idea that I think would be cool with this one villain. So I'm going to focus on him, and then we'll see how it plays out when we get to that part. And uh, for the rest of the cast, I just I tried to stick to Peter Parker himself and the supporting cast. Um, okay. And, and I'll say anyone who's listening to this, I'm assuming that you've seen one of the eight Spider-Man movies or read any of the comics or any of the cartoons or any of this <laughs> stuff. So I don't think we need to stop and explain who the characters are necessarily. No. You know, I think everyone should probably know who they are. Everyone that I'm going to mention has been in at least one of the movies with one exception that I'll explain. Um, at, Yeah, same. Actually, looking at all mine, same. Um. I did not go with B-list. I was just like, I kind of did the whole like, yeah, fuck it. If we had infinite money, <laughs> fan cast, you know? Good. So, yeah, so I am I have a lot of A-listers on here, like one or two B-listers, but. <laughs> well, this is good because I, and this is, this is what, well, honestly, like the thing I liked the best and part of why I wanted to do this episode as a fun one to follow up aliens. Cause I'm like, the plot's not going to be that hard. You got to do the origin story and then you got to have a villain, like. Yeah. It'll be, well, it will be fine. We'll get to that. But I like the fan cast. You know, we did this for G.I. <laughs> Joe and for uh, Masters Universe, and it was always a good time. So mm-hmm. uh, let's jump right in. I've been talking a lot. So you tell me, do we want to start with Peter Parker right off the bat or yeah. do you want to save the good one and, and do the supporting cast first? I say let, let, let's start at the top. Who Who's our star? Um, I'll be honest. I really liked Wizard's pick for this one. Really? Um, yeah, no, I'm a huge John Cusack fan. I love John Cusack. In fact, even movies that people hate, 
that he's done, like The Cell, I actually like because, or I'm sorry, just Cell. The Cell was with, uh, what's her name? J-Lo. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cell, based on the Stephen King uh, novel. I, I hate the way it ends, but man, I love the movie up to when it ends. <laughs> like, and okay. a lot of that is John Cusack and, and Sam Jackson. Um, but no, I, I've always loved John Cusack. And in 1995, he was only 28. So he yeah. was young enough to play like a college age Peter Parker. OK, OK, that's interesting. I. I did not like that as a pick from the Wizard article, I will say. I love John Cusack. Absolutely love John Cusack. He's my favorite, like, leading man from those, like, you know, raunchy teen comedy movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, oh, my God, like, fucking, uh, was it One Hot Summer and Better Off Dead? And, uh, man, I can't. I can't. One one Crazy Summer. Oh, yeah, you're right. One, yep. one crazy it took, took me a second. I was like, wait a yeah, second. Yeah, I'm like, what is One Hot Summer? I was that, That's some album. You're, you're thinking of What Hot American Summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love One Crazy Summer. I love, you know, Better Off Dead. I love Say Anything. I, and mm-hmm. But also, I might put High Fidelity in top 10 or 15 movies of all time. Oh, I it, fucking love that movie. I think I might have, and it's certainly one of the movies that I have seen the most times in my life. Uh, Christina, my wife and I, we watch it pretty much all the time still to this day. It's like whenever we want to put a comfort movie on, it's like that or like The Big Lebowski, and we just let it go. And every time it is funny, every joke is just as funny as it was the last time we saw it. It is such a genius movie. Oh, it Uh, so is. (laughs) So – Go ahead. So real, real quick, for anyone who hasn't watched High Fidelity, just fucking watch it because it does it does the thing about a, it does the thing that doesn't happen often enough in rom coms, in my opinion, where the main character, even though they're like, oh, this is all happening to me, you see that they're kind of a dick making their own bed that they're forced to lie in, Absolutely. and I fucking love that about that movie. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh... John Cusack's character Rob is like such an unreliable narrator because you're listening to him whine and then you're watching him, you know, just make mistake after mistake after mm-hmm. mistake. And it's like, dude, stop it. You so know, good. And, and this doesn't need to be like the high fidelity hour, but it's also an example of a movie that is way better than the book that it's based on. Uh, yeah. I, and a lot of people don't even know that it's based on the book. Actually, Christina, even though we've seen the movie a hundred times, I just told her this past week and she was like, wait, what? It's based on a book? Yeah. And it's uh, it's by Nick Hornby, the, the yeah. guy who wrote like Fever Pitch and about a boy and some other stuff. Um, and here's a fun piece of trivia, too, about High Fidelity is the reason that Jack Black is in the movie is mm-hmm. because John Cusack was a big fan of Tenacious D. And Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And because back at that time, they were still like a comedy musical act, really focused more on the comedy than on the music, you know, in like mm-hmm. a Bo Burnham kind of a way where like the music is amazing, but also like they're standard comedians, you know. Yep. Um, and they had done some of their HBO shorts at that point, but their career wasn't really blowing up. But yeah, John Cusack and uh, Dave uh, Grohl were huge fans of the band mm-hmm. and kept trying to like find places to put them in stuff, which is why they're in that like learn to fly video by the Foo Fighters. But yeah, John Cusack cast uh, Jack Black as um, I forget the character's name. And if you read the book, 
the the character in the book is very similar. Like it's he's mm-hmm. this ridiculous man child, and John Cusack was just like, oh yeah, that that's Jack Black, and, <laughs> and yep. then just like spun him up and let him go. You know. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. And the, yeah, and I, I have read the book, and it's nowhere near as good. No, not not no. And I think I think Rob is maybe more of an asshole in the book than even in the oh, movie. Big yeah. time. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's pretty terrible. And as I'm talking about John Cusack uh, uh, being John Malkovich, ad came up on IMDb, and I'm like, God damn, I love that movie too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, but I'll, I say all that to say I don't I don't know. I could see him as Peter Parker. I, I could see him in the role. I don't know that he'd be my first choice. Um, he, I think his his nebbishness fits, mm-hmm. but I don't know that he has the like witty banter, you know, repartee aspect of spider-man it's the same problem i had with toby mcguire he was a perfect peter parker but mm-hmm. listening to him try to have like witty banter with the villains was like yeah it doesn't really work for me like toby mcguire was a he's still my probably my favorite spider-man ever but mm-hmm. you know he he didn't really he didn't have the uh the tom holland like gift of gab uh <laughs> so yeah, i could see that i went with someone younger too because I, I was trying to i definitely think a 29 year old could pull off you know in the role of Spider-Man, even if it was trying to pretend to be, you know, as young as high school. But I was actually thinking of high school because I'm thinking mm. th- this is the era of like 90210 and Melrose Place and stuff like that. So I was thinking, let's go younger. And also I wasn't thinking A-list. So I I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide between Jonathan Brandis from uh, Sequest 2032 and oh, La- Ladybugs. <laughs> Wow, I for, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Because for me, I thought of him as, he's a great Peter Parker. But then I, I, I also was like, yeah, but there's also like Mark Paul Gosseler from Saved by the Bell, who, uh, who <laughs> I think would make a great Spider-Man, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I was like, I don't know, I couldn't decide between the two, like the nerdy character or like the tough guy, you know, hero character. So, I don't know. See, I feel I, like I, Mark Paul Gosseler would make a better Flash Thompson than uh, Peter Parker. Yeah, he probably would. I like my Flash Thompson pick, but we'll get to that. Yeah, no. Uh, I, again, I went A-list, so I'm I'm kind of definitely on a different different level with uh, the casting here. I okay. I was I wasn't even thinking um, high school. I I honestly like story wise, because like, like I said at the start, I didn't really come up with much of a story, just kind of story beats. Mm-hmm. And story wise, I was thinking, okay, origin stories are annoying. Like we get to a <laughs> point where it's like. All of these characters, we know their origin. So it's like, how can we wrap it up succinctly? So Mm -hmm. the way I was thinking is like what was becoming big in the 90s was cold openings where it's like we do that thing where it's like, bam, just jump right into the action and then soft pedal a little bit. So I figured we would do this thing where it's like we we have like a mini villain fight at the start of the movie. Um, You know, totally a Spider-Man beat the shit out of a villain, you know, wrap him up for the cops kind of thing. Almost like they did in Ninja Turtles where it's like. April gets attacked and then it's like the turtles beat the hell out, but we still don't really see the the heroes type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we do like, we see Peter Parker in college. Like he's maybe like, I don't know. I don't, don't want to say like a senior in college, but he's been at college for a while. And then like, we get like a soft moment where it's like him remembering maybe a dream sequence or whatever. And remembering the death of uncle Ben and kind of what spurred it on and all that, just so you could kind of like, quickly get the origin in there and not spend a lot of time on it like they did in the first spider-man movie and the first amazing spider-man movie (laughs) you know it's like 
it gets old after a while. I, I like the fact with, with uh, you know, the MCU Spider-Man, they didn't really do that. They were just like, you know the story already. Like, yeah, yeah. we'll mention it, but you know it already, so fucking move on. Um, yeah. That's kind of where I was coming from was like a college-age cast. but So we're, we're definitely going to have some differences in our, our ages here. Okay, no, I think we can compromise, though. I think this is fine. So I'll say this. Let's let's go college age. I like your idea, actually. And as I'm looking at my cast and I'm thinking about this one idea that I had, like, I think it works. So okay. I, I, I let's do that. Let's go with John Cusack. We'll go with, like, the college age. And, you know, we'll pretend John Cusack's five or six younger than years younger than he really is. <laughs> right. And, right. <laughs> which, you know, that's normal in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. then... Um, I do still think we should do an origin story because, again, the, all those other Spider-Man movies don't exist yet. And right. I think a lot of people would have known the origin. But just like with Sam Raimi, you kind of have to put it out there at the beginning. And I think I like Sam Raimi's approach because the whole movie was the origin story. and He really took his time with it in a very like Brian Michael Bendis, Ultimate Spider-Man kind of way. Mm-hmm. But. I think we can do the origin, but to your point, not maybe not as maybe not as a cold open, but we can do it quickly. It's not right. that hard of a story to tell, right? So here, here, let's pause for a second. the The story beats of the origin story are, you know, Spider Man encounters a mutated spider of some whether it's radioactive or you know genetically engineered, whatever. He encounters mm-hmm. the spider that that bites him. He gets sick, wakes up, has superpower, spider powers, and then, you know, he doesn't know what to do about that. His uncle Ben is killed in by a robber that turns out Peter could have stopped because he had been a witness to a, that robber committing a crime previously. And so then he feels this overwhelming guilt to like do something good with his life and now he has to support his like widowed aunt may and he tries to use his powers to make money but this like little uncle ben voice in his head doesn't really let him stop trying to like help people and to atone for the mistake that he made by letting his uncle die right i mean right. so i just explained it in like a minute and i think we could hit all of that without really spending a lot of time with Uncle Ben or with Aunt May or with any of these characters. We don't have to spend a lot of time with them, right? Um, and I think if we, the, the, the rest of the cast, like if we do a Flash, if we do a Harry or whatever, we can introduce them later. Not like Sam Raimi did it in the 2002 Spider-Man, mm-hmm. where it's like you have this whole cast, you get to know Peter Parker, and then you put him through this uh, traumatic event. Instead, we just start with Peter Parker – like that he's the only one we know we see the traumatic event he become he gets spider powers and then we see how he's dealing with that and that's when we get to meet his like friends at college or whatever right you know i mean it kind of make it go backwards and that way we can get him the powers quickly uh and kind of get through it yeah no i totally agree okay so we'll, we'll we'll come we'll circle back to the plot in a little bit and like nail down exactly like why with the spider the whole thing but let's get back to the cast um before we spend too much time on this <laughs> we're already you know pretty far into the recording so um let's do let's i'll throw one out let's throw uh, an, an odd one out let's have the robber i think the robber or the guy that kills uncle ben um should be in the movie we should do that scene and i think it should be steve buscemi <laughs> dude i have the same fucking thing 100 <laughs> percent. like seriously <laughs> Yes, I love it. That's <laughs> hilarious. I literally have the, the, 
Robert, Steve Buscemi. That's hilarious. Yeah, Robert, Steve Buscemi. That's it. Oh, my God. I love it. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, All that's right. done. <laughs> All right, back to you. Who do you want to do next? Um, Let's let's go with Aunt May. You know, she's in, okay. she's in everything. I put Betty White. Oh, see, Betty White's a good one. I oh I like Betty White. I okay so in that same like generation or age, I mm. went with Emergency Rope Connection and I went just Angela Lansbury. Why not? Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, I like her. I I thought if we wanted to go younger, I also did like if we wanted to go younger, uh, mm. I really like Melinda Dillon, the mom from A Christmas Story, who's also in yeah. Chris Connors of the Third Kind. And like, it sucks to have to always have her like in these mom roles, but man, she'd be a really good like mothering mothering Aunt May. Yeah, um, no, she would be. But since see, we're going I, with an older John Cusack, maybe we go with the older Aunt May. Yeah, see, I was thinking uh, the reason I, I thought Betty White is I was thinking of her character on Golden Girls, and it's like she always had like the little zingers, but she also seemed kind of oblivious to everything. And yeah. if you look at the Aunt May in the comic books and cartoons. There's like so many signs that Peter is Spider-Man and she's just like, I'm going to make you eat cakes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, totally oblivious. So I was like, what actress can play oblivious while still being charming and lovable? I was like, fucking Betty White, of course. Like, Hell yeah. You know, that that can even also be like a like a plot point to add a little pathos to the story. What if like uh, Peter Parker, the John Cusack, Peter Parker, what if he knows that his aunt may is maybe like a, a little bit like on the alzheimer like spectrum you know a little mm-hmm. bit like she's getting a little senile and now that like uncle ben is gone she, he has to take care of her because he knows i can't really leave her by herself because you know one oh, day she yeah. might, you know what i mean one day she might not be all there you know what i mean uh, yeah no, i like that that makes I, sense that's like a new thing that, that isn't in the comic, but you know it's the '90s. We gotta change some shit. So okay, yeah. I, st- I still like Angela Lansbury, but yeah, I think Betty, Betty White's a good choice. I I do love Angela Lansbury. You know I have a soft spot for her. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she is awesome. Okay, so okay, we'll go with Betty White. So who, Betty White would be married to Uncle Ben, and again, I went with a younger Uncle Ben, and I went with an older young Uncle Ben. I think they're both really great. But if we're gonna go older Uncle Ben married to Betty White, I say it's Jack Lemmon. Oh, oh, that's perfect. That no, that's fucking perfect. Yeah, no, I like that. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, just think about him and Grumpy Old Man and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and yeah, yeah. he's always then, oh, he was so good. And I, I could see him being, you know, he's he's a dad figure. He he's the kind of guy that's really when he gives you advice like that's you're going to remember that forever like he's going to deliver yep. that that you know uh responsibility power line so perfectly you mm-hmm. know see now i went younger because i figured this would take place like several years after the origin because you figure if it was in high school that he got bit you know and, and that's when uncle ben died and then this would take place you know eight or nine years later um you know, at like toward the end of his college career type of thing. Um, I went young thinking uh, like a young guy playing an older man. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like kind of age him up a little bit. But and the only reason I did it is because I love this guy. And in a dad role is Clue Gulliger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's really and good, though, too. Because of his role as Jesse's dad in Nightmare 2. <laughs> like, yep. I, and I know I mentioned it on that episode of the Boogeyman's Closet is it's like there's there's that moment where he's like 
he's so worried about his son and he's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't care what you're on or like, you know, he's like, I don't care what's that. Just all I want to know is what you're taking and who are you getting it from? And he's like, there's, there's that moment. Like you can tell he's angry, but he's more scared about what's happening to his son. And mm-hmm. he plays that dad role. So fucking good in that movie. Um, and I just have a soft spot for clue Gulliger, like everything I see him and I enjoy the guy. Uh, but yeah, I really like uh, Jack Lemon. That, that is, that's a really good pick. All right, sweet. Okay, so we got John Cusack, we got uh, Betty White, we got Jack Lemon. Oh, you know, I probably should be writing this down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so you're next, I think. Uh, who do you want to go to next? Who's next on your list? Ah, uh, Mary Jane Watson. Okay. Who I picked Julianne Moore. Oh, that's so good, and for the time period too. Yeah. yeah that, well, that's what I was thinking. 1995, Julianne Moore, like. First of all, I had a huge crush on her as a teenager. Um, like, I just thought she was so damn pretty. And uh, she's a great actress. Like, she's so good at everything. Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. I have always loved her. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. She definitely has the hair. Okay, so, again, I went young. I, I didn't do an, uh, an actor that was closer to Cusack's age. I went with, I was thinking teeny bopper. So, I went with Claire Danes. Right, who would oh, have been com- yeah. coming off of my so-called life. Mm-hmm. This would have been before the Romeo and Juliet, but yeah, she would have been good. But no, I like Julianne Moore. I think Julianne Moore and John Cusack would make a cute couple. Yeah, I think <laughs> that that I think that they work together. So okay, who, okay, who's the next for you? Who's next? Okay, I mentioned Flash Thompson, uh, mm-hmm. and again, cause, because I went younger, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Now I'm like kind of doubting my pick, but I still think it would be a good pick. Uh, I think a nine oh two one oh, Flash Thompson is. Like he's the big man on campus, he's the bully, but then he kind of has a heart of gold eventually in the comics. Like he eventually, eventually becomes Peter Parker's like best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with, uh, and I will pronounce this the name the name the way that he pronounces it, which is Ian Ziering. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he's perfect. You know what? I I have to agree. I I like, and I even think in. In this age bracket, I still think it works because he was older in 90210. Um, so I think playing around with like this 1995 like college age cast, I think that still works for Flash Thompson. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, damn, I, he was, I was born in 1964. Shit, he would have already been like 30, 31. That's damn. what I'm saying. Like he was yeah. he was old. Uh, I honestly went with Brad Pitt. Okay, um, nice. Because I was thinking mid 90s Brad Pitt. He was still doing the heartthrob thing, but he was also cut like a motherfucker. And uh, I feel mm-hmm. like he could play he could play the bully role, but also kind of be like the charming asshole that everyone still kind of loves. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I, I like Ian Ziering better. Like that's that's good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the one the, one of the first ones I thought of actually, where I was like, huh, like what do I do with like a 90210 Melrose Place cast? And the first thing I thought was, oh, Iron Ziering's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. That is that is kind of perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So I I'm gonna just go ahead and say my Harry Osborne choice doesn't work at all anymore. So I will leave okay. that to you. But I'm gonna go with one on my turn now. And I will go with um, let's go with J. Jonah Jameson. So okay. I I had two. Now I really like the pick from the Wizard article, which is Michael Douglas. You know the yeah. fall, falling down era of Michael Douglas. I think would be perfect. Grow a little mustache, have that same kind of crew cut haircut he had in Falling Down. Awesome. 
Yeah, but at, but at the same time, it's the 90s. They're going to make some changes, and there's going to be some changes that are like, wait, that guy? But just thinking of the voice, the attitude, you know, the kind of guy where that we, you would he would take him seriously, but all this, at the same time also realize he's kind of ridiculous, and mm. he would look funny with a mustache, is Lane Smith, right? My cousin mm. Vinny, son, he's the dad and son-in-law, right? He was uh, the 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 lawyer for the prosecution in my cousin Vinny. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I forgot about this guy. I'm trying to think what else is he in? I think that those are probably his like two big movies. I always think of him as the guy from son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can absolutely see that. Okay. See, I, I agreed with, with wizard. I was like, Michael Douglas is a great fit for that, but yeah, yeah no, that, this guy's good. I'm still down for it, but I, I kept I, honestly I kept trying to stick Lane Smith in there somewhere. I don't know why, but I'm just like he just screams '90s like villain to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if any of the Rogues Gallery villains work for him, so I was like, ah, maybe he could be, you know, uh, hell, he could be Uncle Ben, but I kind of like him more as an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I like anyway. that. Yeah, honestly, you know who else would would fit now that I'm thinking about it, is John Malkovich. Oh yeah, yeah, he but, would. Because I like because he can do that like the the quiet sarcastic asshole and he can freak out really well. So like, yeah, I feel like he could be good for really any of the Spider-Man's villains. Like you know he would be a good like Electro for example. You know like you don't really care what Electro looks like. You just want someone who's kind of sadistic but also kind of silly. You know actually you know what put him in a bulky suit and have him kingpin. Oh yeah, yeah. Like his, he could do, he could deliver the villain monologue perfectly. Yeah, and, and again, it would be that weird '90s change of like, why is the kingpin skinny? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just this tall guy. What's going on? What's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see I that. Lane Smith as as Jay Jonah. Okay, I like that. But but you had Michael Douglas. Wizard had Michael Douglas. I think Michael Douglas is good. And yeah, hearing him yell at people is awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it's that whole falling down era. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could see him with the buzz cut because he had the buzz cut and and falling mm-hmm. down. You know, just grow the little mustache and have him pounding his fist on a table a lot. Like I, mm-hmm. I think it works. Yeah, I definitely agree for sure. All right, so we'll go with Michael Douglas. All right, so it's. Well, you, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, since, since we're we're in, we're at the Daily Bugle, let's let's wrap up the Daily Bugle players. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie Robertson, I, I think Denzel Washington. I think so. too. That's a good pick. I actually went with the wizard pick for this one, too. I think Robert Guillaume is a great pick. Uh, he really is. One. Yeah, he was famous at the time as Benson and he's the, the voice of Rafiki in The Lion King. You know? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I feel like 95 Denzel was just fucking kicking ass and taking names like he, he was, was so good and he was b- really big at the time too and him being like uh you know sort of a voice of reason to michael douglas's you know raving jay jonah would have been pretty <laughs> awesome yeah like imagine <laughs> the two of them playing off one another i feel like that would be a lot of fun yeah there'd be some good drama there i didn't have anybody else from the daily bugle office i didn't do like betty brandt or anybody oh see i, I did betty brandt I, I picked winona Ryder. I was like, it's oh. it's 95. Of course she's in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Especially since like, uh, yeah. And and in the comics, you know, Betty Brant and uh, Peter Parker dated for a while. In the movies, it was always like this, you know, like it was a mutual crush there, but they never did anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Betty Brant obviously thought Peter Parker was cute. So, yeah, that would be a fun like uh, cameo or small role for Winona. 
at right. the time. Okay. All right. Um, so like I said, I, I, I get a next time, next time around, tell me who you want for Harry, Harry Osborne. Cause I, my pick doesn't really work anymore, but I will, since it's my turn, I'll go on the next one. And I know we already cast Mary Jane, mm-hmm. but I'm going to cast Gwen Stacy too. And oh, I think, okay. I think Gwen Stacy in the mid nineties, like you want sort of a classic beauty, but I think, you don't need Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane to look the same. And if they're both going to be in the movie, if they are, I think you go for a different look for Gwen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went Drew Barrymore. Oh, okay. I think that she'd be like, she's like the fun loving, like girl next door type, you know? And I think that that's kind of what Gwen was in the comics originally. Yeah. And then Mary Jane was like the brash model, you know, she was the one who was pulling Peter out of his comfort zone and she was the wild child and like partying and going clubbing. But Gwen Stacy was like, you know, she was like the goody little two shoes, like uh, cop's daughter, you know, and yeah. I think Drew Barrymore is better with that girl next door thing. You know what? Yeah, you're you're 100 percent right, because um, I hadn't I didn't even think about Gwen Stacy, but the first person that came to mind when you mentioned her, um, why can't I think of her fucking name? She was in uh, the, the main chick from There's Something About Mary. Um Oh, uh, uh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, thank you. That was the first yeah. person that popped into my head when you said the the character. But I no, I like Drew Barrymore. That's 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 a good one. I do like Cameron Diaz. I agree. But yeah, I I, I want to go with, and I think Drew Barrymore and John Cusack are cute together. Yeah, you know, I think I think that totally works. I I and I love Drew Barrymore, so that's yeah. that's a good pick. And again, it's um, the nineties. They they'll they'll stick her in anything, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and so. and of course she'll she'll put butts in seats. So yeah, for sure. You know. All right, go ahead. Um, so uh, Norman Osborn. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted I want to do this one first, but sure. Norman Osborn, I picked Gary Oldman. Oh, that's so good. Damn, that's really good. I was trying to find someone that was just old enough to be like maybe he could have a kid that was you know college age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous because he's only like I think like fourteen or fifteen years older than uh, than um, John Cusack, something like that. So he's <laughs> yeah. not, I mean. We're we're really playing with the timeline, but Gary Oldman has proven time and time again he can act behind makeup, he can act, mm-hmm. you know, without makeup. So it's like he could do both Norman and the Green Goblin really fucking well. I I, I can because you know you throw him in a bunch of makeup, he can still emote. Yeah, so. that's true. And so I picked another actor for similar reasons because I was thinking who would be a scary Green Goblin. And be really over the top and theatrical, like the one in the comics with like the circus costume on, you know, Halloween Mm -hmm. costume. And yet still be fucking creepy in the boardroom as like this, you know, corporate guy. And so I went with John Lithgow. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Because I I love John Lithgow as a bad guy that, um. Oh God! What is that movie that he's in where he's fucking raising Kane? He's fucking terrifying yeah, in that. He is, um, and he was in Cliffhanger too. He was a good villain, but my I think of him from fucking Santa Claus the movie. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. But he plays a good oh, villain. And he's also yeah. monot- he has that like crazy smile, crazy laugh. You know, he's got like uh like a Willem Dafoe, Jack Nicholson kind of thing going on where. He's like unhinged when he's like laughing. You know? Yeah. You know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put John Lithgow down here, and I'm gonna move my Gary Oldman pick mm-hmm. uh, to replace somebody else that okay. that I was kind of like, 
eh, it works, but it, you know, he's going to be a side character if he's even used. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think Gary Oldman might be a better fit for another character. But okay, so yeah, okay. John Lithgow, let's go, let's go with him. Okay, uh, I love it. So for Harry, I picked Edward Norton. Oh, see, I'm so glad you said that because Edward Norton, I had on my list of like question mark, like I want to put him somewhere, but I don't know where. And since we went older, my Jason Priestley pick didn't really work anymore. (laughs) I was going to say, if we had have gone younger, Jason Priestley would have been in here somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I like Edward Norton. That works perfectly. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. As they could picture him in like uh, Death to Smoochie, like how mm-hmm. how goofy and fun loving he was and how Harry could kind of switch from like, you know, that fun loving guy to fucking psychopath and then picture him in American History X. And it's like, yeah, Edward Norton has the chops. <laughs> he does. Just, and that was his whole that. character in in Primal Fear. That was his like breakout movie in 1996. Mm-hmm. That's the, true. The, whole, the whole point of that character was that you believed him as this like victim uh you know of the system who turned out to really be playing the system because he was secretly like this mastermind you know and he was right. scary as fuck yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I think i think he'd be he'd be good there so okay now perfect. what are your other characters so i did captain stacy as well uh Gwen oh, okay. Stacy's dad right who was I, fuck what's his first name i don't even know but he's the you know he's the police captain uh right. and so he was in the uh Fuck one of those uh, Garfield movies uh, is escaping me now. No, no, he was in the uh, he was in the third Raimi movie as well. Mm. Shit, I can't even remember. But yeah, no, I just went with James Cromwell. I think James Cromwell it, he he played the character in Spider Man three, and I think he would have played the character perfectly a few years prior to that. So I'm just sticking with James Cromwell, you know, from yeah. Revenge of the Nerds and Babe and Green Mile. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's perfect. I I, I and plus he's a great actor. Yeah, and I tried so. to I tried to avoid people who like actually did get cast, but <laughs> right. like I just pictured him in like in like the Green Mile, and I'm like, that's him. That's just him. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. So it's your turn, but in terms of like what I have on my list that we haven't done yet, um, I only have villains left. Same. I have okay. well questionable villains and and, and uh, two particular ones but Mm -hmm. still have villains nonetheless i have in fact i have one two three four uh five six left okay perfect oh you know what i was just thinking was shit man didn't didn't clancy brown play captain stacy too i don't know but he he would be good because i fucking love clancy brown yeah me too fuck hey i gotta google it real quick because i'm i'm terrible with those uh those garfield Uh, i didn't and no, no, he he wasn't in the movie. He played it in. He voiced the character on one of the cartoons on the, I guess the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. I'm changing my pick from James Cromwell. Let's go with <laughs> Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown, hell yeah, Mr. Krabs himself, Mr. Byron Hadley, Captain of the Guards. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Not sorry, to... I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying. You're talking oh about no, that. no, I I think he's perfect. No, I, I have I have six villains left. Um, so I don't know if we have any same characters on the list. And again, I don't even know if we're going to use any of these guys, but uh, of course, we, you know, it was the nineties. So symbiote madness, um, Eddie Brock, I picked Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> <laughs> that see, that's, I had Dolph Lundgren was also on my list for a, a, a maybe for one other, for a different character, but no, okay. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I only had him done as a maybe because I'm like, he, he was already the Punisher. Like, should he, should he play somebody else? Right. But I don't, I don't think it would have mattered. No, he'd be a good Eddie Brock. 
Well, because I just figured, like, picture him in Universal Soldier. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and he really wouldn't have to do much acting. All he would have to do is Eddie Brock is, like, get pissed off that, like, Peter had better photos than him. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, show him, like, me, may- and maybe even have a scene in the movie where it's, like, he gets some photos of Spider-Man, like, beating the hell out of some guys at, like, a convenience store that were trying to rob it. But mm-hmm. the way he's framing it is, like, oh, look, Spider-Man's doing some villainous shit again. I'm going to sell this to Jonah. You know, mm-hmm. and but of course, Peter already had his camera set up, so he's got better photos of him taking down the criminals that were clearly holding up this <laughs> this place. You know, so Eddie is shamed into thinking like, oh, I fucked up, you know, giving doing the whole thing. where like giving him mm-hmm. a reason to hate Peter Parker. For um, sure. But yeah, I mean, you just have to be a muscly badass, really. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. No, that, that's that's perfect. I, I think that that's a really, really good, good pick. I even. Uh, thinking of him as Venom is like, duh, shit, I should have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, now, did did you have a Cletus Cassidy? I did not. I didn't. I only did Dr. Octopus, uh, Lizard, Scorpion, and Craven. Okay, I, see, I went uh, Venom, Carnage, Oct- Octopus, uh, Lizard, uh, Mysterio, and Kingpin. Okay, okay. all right. So um, you went Eddie Brock. I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you my Scorpion. Um, and I wasn't thinking of the new Carnage movie. I was just thinking that the that dude's creepy as fuck. But I would have picked Woody Harrelson as, as Carnage. Scorpion, as oh. Scorpion. As, <laughs> yeah. As, yeah, I put him as Carnage because I'm like, especially in 95, that's like Natural Born Killers era mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson. Like, fuck yeah, that's the whole reason he needed to be Cletus Cassidy. But mm-hmm. a younger Woody Harrelson would have been even better. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And that's actually why I was thinking of him as Scorpion, because it was in the 90s that we first started seeing Scorpion, his personality being changed to being more and more like unhinged, you know? Yeah. And, and he was always this sort of like stupid bank robber, but they really leaned into him being kind of crazy, you know, in the 90s. And it got even worse eventually to the point where he was even Venom for a long time in the comics because he was fucked up. Um, that's true. But I do like Woody. I do think that Woody Harrelson as both Cletus and Carnage is, especially in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to argue with that. That's pretty perfect. But I, I mean, who else would play a good Mac Gargan? So I will I will take a pick that I had for somebody else and move it here. I'm okay. going to go with Everett McGill. Twin Peaks. The people oh, the fuck. Yes, dude. I love that guy. Talk about fucking unhinged, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh hell yeah, perfect. Yeah, I love <laughs> that's, it. That's, I love that's it. perfect. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so your turn again. Who, who's next? Um, okay, so I'll I'll give you the switch that I had. So for originally Dr. Kurt Connors. Okay. Um, I had Kevin Costner. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. But, and that's what I was like, you know what? I because 90s Kevin Costner, I liked him. He, you know, he can he can clearly carry a film on his fucking shoulders, yeah. which we saw with like the Postman and other movies. Like <laughs> he he he's got no problem being able to do that. Uh, but he also can he can play like crazy if we need him to. But this is where I was like, you know what? Move move Gary Oldman. Have Gary Oldman be Kurt Connor. I I really like that. So I had William Sadler as the lizard um, oh i love what he said for the same exactly right and he had like demon knight and shit at the time and he was in shawshank so he was coming off of some shit but i like him for the same reasons because he can play very serious very scary like in die hard 2 right he, mm-hmm. even though that's kind of a silly movie like he was pretty intense <laughs> right 
but I can also see him like in the makeup, man, he would look awesome. Like if they gave him, you know, if they didn't do like a lizard mask or CGI, like if he was just like, you know, they put some scales on his face, like he could act through the makeup, I think just like Gary Oldman could. Yeah. Um, I think I like either one of those. those are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and Spider-Man has so many villains and it's like, wait, what's another animal themed unhinged Spider-Man villain? <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, there's there's probably a bunch of them, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think like villains of the '90s, or like uh like a Vulture is usually an older guy, right? And fucking you know Michael Keaton played it perfectly as a somewhat younger character, but like yeah. Gary Oldman as the Vulture would be pretty fucking cool. Or I don't know who you did for Mysterio, but like either one of those guys would make a good Mysterio. I think uh, yeah. Gary Oldman as the Vulture would be fun. Yeah, fuck it. Okay, so we'll go. Lizard is William Sadler, and let's put the vulture. vulture what's funny? Is... What's, what's funny is that most of these characters aren't even going to end up in our movie. It's just That's fun true. to do. It's it just is. fun to do this. <laughs> well, now for for Doc Ock, I did. Okay. I I agreed with Wizard. I said me Larry, too. Larry Drake. I mean, come on, Doctor Do- Giggles. Come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Especially in the '90s, like that's perfect. It is that's so good. <laughs> and you know, and you know what? I never knew this. I am a gigantic, gigantic fan of the Karate Kid uh, franchise with Cobra Kai, especially the first three movies. Like, I love Karate Kid. I never realized until right before we started recording that fucking Larry Drake is in Karate Kid. I had no idea. He is. He is. I know, right? Exactly. So, if you remember Karate Kid, there's the scene at the beach where. Daniel is like learning balance in the waves and he sees Mr. Miyagi doing the crane kick for the very first time on the post on the, and then they walk back to the car and there's two guys there drinking beers on Mr. Miyagi's car. And Mr. Miyagi says like, you know, you know, he points to the beer bottles and he's like, you know, please move or whatever. And then some guy like burps, puts it down and is like, move him yourself, Mr. Moto. And that was fucking Larry Drake. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny as hell. Right. And then Mr. Miyagi like chops the tops of the bottles off and they get all scared and like run away with their broken glass. And I'm like, <laughs> that's so crazy. Anyway, weird. Oh, just that's... for for us, Dr. Giggles and Darkman fans. It's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, what I just thought of uh, we were talking about Scorpion, like who could play unhinged and <laughs> fucking muscle cheeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, dude, he should he should play the fucking kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something even weirder. <laughs> oh, good old uh, muscle cheeks. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so we did we did Doc Ock, we did Lizard, we did Vulture, Scorpion, Kingpin, Eddie Brock, uh, Carnage. You said you had Mysterio. Who was your Mysterio? Yeah. Tim Roth. Oh, dude. See, we're on the same page because I, <laughs> I had Tim Roth on my like question mark. Where do I put him list? <laughs> I you know I just pictured him like. Because, again, he wasn't super well-known at the time. Like, he was popular, but he was also doing a lot of movies where he was in makeup or he was just, like, you know, kind of a supporting character. Really wasn't until, like, his his career with Tarantino really took off, Yeah. Um. you know, with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, that it was, like, people started to take notice. Like, this, this guy's really good. But at that point, it was just he was doing little roles. Um, yeah. Like, Four Rooms, I think, was his biggest role up until uh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, um, yeah. And at this point, if 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 he was if he makes makes the cut for our like ninety five ninety six movie, you know, yeah, he would have been coming off of Tarantino, and yeah, he would have mm. been looking for like bigger roles. So yeah, that'd be awesome. 
Um, but yeah, I just I just picture him like being able to give those like those villainous soliloquies. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, definitely. OK, so I am going to segue uh, my last cast. Sorry, do you have any, anyone else? Nope. nope OK, it. so I have one more and I'm, gonna, I'm saving it for the end because I want to segue into the idea that I had that I think would be a good plot. Um, and because I, I don't want to just repeat a movie that we've already seen, because, yes, in 1995, none of the Sam Raimi or, you know, none of the movies existed. Right. None of the uh, Tobey Maguire's or the Andrew Garfield's or Tom Holland movies existed. But at the same time, I don't want to sit here and be like, hey, let's improv a story where, like, you know, the, the Green Goblin, you know, goes crazy and tries to kill Spider-Man. Because, like, we've all seen that, mm-hmm. in, not only in the comics, but also in the movie. So I was like, how do we come up with our own idea for, like, a villain we haven't really seen on the big screen yet or a story we haven't seen at least? And yet, you know, make it work for the 90s where it wouldn't have been a weird pick, you know, where it's kind of like when The Dark Knight came out and they went with like Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow. Now, mm-hmm. in, in and of itself, it works in the story. But, you know, the real reason they went with those characters is because in this other universe, they had we had already seen the Joker and the Riddler and Two-Face and all the big name villains. Right. right. So they had to pick somebody else and they really made it work. And that's kind of what I want to go with, like pick a uh, not the first choice for your villain, not Doc Ock, not Green Ock, Green Goblin. I say we go with Craven, Craven the Hunter, and we have fucking Mel Gibson play Craven oh. the Hunter. <laughs> oh, that's fucking perfect. With his Australian accent, and it would be like a crocodile Dundee, but not goofy, but like fucking scary, you know? <laughs> like okay, uh, yeah. Like fucking Croc Master, Naga Hide, you know, like, but like a, you know, like a, like a actual hunter, like these big game hunters we talked about, you know, uh, who's famous for like, I will hunt and kill fucking anything, mm. any, any weapon, bare hands, whatever, any place, anywhere in the world. And we have our Craven and he's like a celebrity, right? He has like a TV show or something. Maybe, maybe not a TV show because reality TV wasn't really much of a thing at this point. But, you know, people would have known who this guy is. He would have at least been in the right. newspaper of like, you know, Craven the Hunter does it again. You know, he like, you know, he likes he like, you know, catches a 30 foot anaconda with his bare hands or you know, whatever, <laughs> right. you know, he, he would have been on like the cover of like people or something. you know. Yeah, exactly. Like and of course, you know, a lot of people would have hated him, you know, a lot of uh, animal rights activists and, you know, and naturalists would have this guy's like their worst enemy. So. I think we – I love Mel Gibson. I love crazy, evil Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Okay. Uh, okay, so let's get into the plot. So in the interest of trying to get through the origin story quickly while mm-hmm. incorporating as much as we can as quickly as we can, I say let's have – let's tie the robber story where Steve Buscemi's character you know, steals something – gets away with it. Peter Parker doesn't stop him. And then later on, he kills Uncle Ben. Now Peter Parker feels terrible. So we combine that with the spider bite origin story. And we have it that I always like Peter Parker as a photographer. Like, yeah, he's a scientist. Sure. But I like photographer Peter Parker personally. Um, And I think it's more believable for like a 90s movie. So. I'm just going to quickly throw out this and then we can like, you know, we can flesh it out. So I'm thinking we have John Cusack. He's at this college. 
there's this, you know, they're having this, uh, we open up with like, oh, it's the opening, the opening of this, uh, you know, this, uh, they're making a, like a research announcement or an expo where they're going to show, hey, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, identified this like, you know, hybrid spider. I don't know if they found it like in arachnophobia or if they made it, but the, the point is they had this like weird mutant spider and they've done some research on it and holy shit, like it's super strong and super fast. And it's like this crazy super spider and we're finally ready to like show it off to the public. Uh, and so Peter Parker, who is at the college, maybe he like, you know, works for the paper and he's going to go and be the photographer at like the big opening, the big expo. And yet at the same time, you know, Steve Buscemi it, we just see him like sneaking in kind of in the background and uh, he's going to steal the spider because he has like somebody who wants to buy it, you know, some, uh, some evil industrialist, you know, who, who wants to buy the super spider so they can like, you know, uh, extract its secrets or whatever. And, you know, okay. because, because of course at the university it's research. So it's like, you know, it's public funding or it's like university funding. So, you know, they're not there to make money. They're like, look at this amazing thing we found. It's like a breakthrough in like, you know, pharmaceuticals or whatever. Right. And mm-hmm. then of course this evil, the evil corporation in the nineties, in the everything was an evil corporation in the 90s right right <laughs> it was literally the villain of every single image comic was an evil corporation 100 <laughs> percent spawn young blood shadow hawk cyber yep. force all e- so we got to go with that right so uh and, and and i didn't actually assume it would be norman osborne but maybe it's norman osborne who secretly hires steve buscemi to steal the spider before the big opening peter parker's there to talk to to photograph it he sees buscemi like steal the spider just photographs him like hey my fucking problem you know what i mean but mm-hmm. then something goes wrong where the the security tries to stop buscemi or you know, he he take you know somebody someone else sees him and screams, "Hey, that guy's still on the spider or whatever." So Buscemi like run he like runs and bumps into Cusack and like knocks him over and like the fucking glass uh, tank that spider was in like shatters right. Mm-hmm. Cusack's got maybe it's even more than one spider, but Cusack's got spider on him. He gets bitten. Buscemi's just like fuck and like you know pieces out of there. All mm-hmm. the security security guards run after him. And Cusack's just like, ah, shit, you know, like he bit, that thing fucking bit me. Where'd it go? Blah, blah, blah. And he's not even thinking about the spider. He's just like, what the fuck just happened? You know, and then maybe the cops come up and they're like, oh, you've got pictures of this guy. And he's like, I don't know. He said something snide like, oh, not for you or whatever. Or he doesn't want to get involved somehow. Somehow something to do where he's like guilt. He's going to feel guilty later on because he didn't help more. Right. Uh, so I'll, I'll stop right there because I know that was kind of a lot. But I'm thinking like that's that's the robber. That's the spider. That's the origin story. We could do this in 10 minutes. Okay. See, now, again, I went in a completely different uh, direction here with the origin idea. Um, Because I was, again, I was trying to think of, like, all the moving parts. Like, what would we, what would we put in for this movie and then for the sequel? Like, what kind of things would we, uh, would we seed, would we thread through for the sequel? So what I was thinking is you take uh, Doc Ock and you take, you know, Kirk Connors and you have them like working in some kind of like, um, you know, I don't want to say pharmaceutical company, but something like a medical research group that are doing like huge breakthroughs and like medical technology and, you know, stuff to basically better mankind. And we do very similar to the the first Sam Raimi movie where the high school students are touring the facility. 
um, and basically have instead of it being Norman Osborn's research facility, we have it be this like this medical group, this big you know medical facility. Sure. And we get to Kurt Connors' lab, and we meet the one-armed Dr. Kurt Connors, and we talk about like you know cell regrowth and like you know limb regrowth, and and he has like all sorts of like lizards and insects and like you know like crabs and all these creatures that can regrow lost limbs once they lose them. And maybe he even has like a tank full of like these, you know, these spiders from, you know, deep in the Amazon jungle, we found (laughs) this, you know, this very specific arachnid that, that, you know, can regrow lost limbs, much like, you know, these lizards and crabs and blah, blah, blah. Um, And of course, one of them gets out, bites Peter, yada, yada, yada. But, we, so we have that whole, like, the medical origin story, but this way we have a reason to come back to Kurt and Ock, you know, later uh, sure. working together. And like, this would also explain, like, why Dr. Octopus creates the arms. Maybe he was creating, um, you know, uh, prosthesis for people who had lost limbs. Like, that was another, like, variation of what they were working on. Like, Kurt was trying to do cellular regrowth, whereas Ock was trying to, like, neurally connect prosthesis so it's like if you lost your arm you could have this robotic arm rebuilt but it would be connected to your spine in a way where it would be connected to your neural network and you could you know think open my hand and the robotic hand would open type of thing just like you know you know human limbs um so we kind of set that up in the beginning hell maybe norman is is funding it maybe that's as simple as you know just have him funding the stuff okay so can we combine these two okay so yeah Something else just went off in my head, too. So let's do this. Let's have Betty Brandt is like a reporter at the college who works part time at uh, at the Daily Bugle. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get Winona and Winona Ryder and John Cusack aren't interested in each other. They're just, you know, they're they're besties. Right. Right. Know, Betty Brandt and Peter Parker. So. We do this thing where, yeah, so she's writing a story on, oh, wow, this there's this this pharmaceutical research lab and they're doing this like groundbreaking work and they're ready to finally tell people about it and like meet, you know, meet, you know, Dr. Octavius, who, um, you know, he maybe he has like limited use of his own arms. And so he's creating these like you know, these uh, robotic prosthesis that not only what can he use himself but, you know, we'll help, you know, anyone all over the world, like they're mind controlled, they respond to to thought or whatever, which in the 90s was pretty groundbreaking. It actually exists now, you know, but absolutely. Uh, and so, yeah, again, make a little change and just make it that Doc Ock, like not that he doesn't have arms or use of his arms, but maybe like just he has very limited use. So, you know, uh, maybe he types with like a, a, a voice you know, decoder and like, you know, he, he doesn't, or maybe one of his arms doesn't really work, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. just to kind of give him a personal stake. And then, and then it's like, uh, you know, of course they don't, they don't look like octopus tentacles, you know, they're just like generic, like robot looking arms. Right. And right. then of course it's like, you know, meet, uh, Dr. Curtis Connors and he's doing all this research on all these, uh, you know, this re- cell regeneration and all these different animal species to your point and so peter parker is just you know the shy nebbish kid he's just along for the uh, ride taking photos of everything you know just just looking around not really doing much saying anything when on the writers the you know she's like the uh the nancy from stranger things you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so that nancy and jonathan from stranger things relationship um yeah so exactly to your point and then you know but maybe we find we find out that they've been you know they've been funded by you know the university or by a private grant and um 
But now we get to now we see Steve Buscemi. The again, we do the same thing where he breaks in and he's going to steal something from the lab to take it back to you know his boss Norm Osborne across town at like Oscorp or whatever it was called at the time because I think Oscorp was the name was invented later. Yeah. Um, and this way we can kind of introduce Connors and Doc Ock. They don't even necessarily need to be players in this particular movie. But you know, they could be, or we have them both set up for a sequel because you got to have two villains in the sequel. <laughs> of course, of <laughs> you know? course. We could do we could do the same thing where maybe Steve Buscemi breaks in, he steals some stuff. Peter's taking pictures. He sees him, doesn't do shit, doesn't say shit. He's just like, whatever, not my problem, you know. And he's just mm-hmm. following Betty Brant along, and she and she says something along the lines of like, oh, this is gonna be so great, like you know, Mr. Jameson's gonna love this story. You have to meet him, Peter. I, he's gonna love these photos, you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that way, in a little bit later, we can have him get a job at the Bugle, obviously, because now he has this like connection. And that's going to be our segue over to the Bugle offices later on. But I kind of like this idea where, again, Steve, you know, Buscemi takes off with some shit. Peter doesn't say anything. But then again, we, ha- we have to have we have to somewhere in here do the same thing where either Buscemi drops. Maybe he drops one of the one of the tanks and Peter goes over to check it out. Like, oh, what did he drop? Oh, there's a fucking spider. Oh, shit, it jumped on me. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> or even maybe, maybe it's something. As, oh, wait, hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's backtrack for a second. So what what exactly is the timeline we're looking at? Are they in high school when the origin happens or are they in college when the origin happens? No, I'm thinking they're already in college. Let's just start like college okay, so, age. I so want the origin st- to be here. We can maybe skip a few months or something before we get to the action. But, yeah, let's just right. have them be, you know, they're 20 or whatever. See, because I was thinking that the origin would be told in a flashback of like when they were in high school, this happened and this is what led to the events of the movie. Oh, okay, okay, that still works. We could still okay. do that. Like, so we could we could start with this being like, you know, on the screen it'll be like, you know, 1993 or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and we'll do this whole sequence, and then we can jump forward a couple of years. And now, you know, Betty Brant works at the Bugle, and, you know, Peter's in college, and he's secretly Spider-Man now, and we're going to find that out. Okay, so why don't we do this? Why don't we go, these are high school students, like seniors in high school, and they're touring the, the this huge college campus that has, like, this, you know, I don't know if you want to say, like, uh, medical research development team or something. There's something that is involved at the college where it's like, they're the the the, bri- the best and the brightest kids are kind of viewing this thing. And while they're on their little tour, maybe Betty Brandt, you know, maybe, maybe she has an internship at the Bugle and she's like, oh, we got to, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to totally turn this in for extra credit. You know, that type of thing. I'm like, I'm going to do a report on it mm-hmm. while they're doing that. Like while they're doing the uh, the tour, we get the whole like, you know, Steve Buscemi's character. Maybe he's like one of the other people on the tour <laughs> with everybody. Okay. And it's, it's like uh, some high school students, like some people who are touring, like, you know, professionals, yada, yada. And he, when they get into Kirk Connor's lab and they're talking about the cellular regrowth and all that, maybe this is when he pulls a gun, like fires it into the ceiling. He's like, everybody on the floor. Like he grabs Kurt's notes, like his research notes or something like that. And like on his escape, he just starts shoving over like, um, mm. you know, like big big uh things like various tanks like big uh scaff- those scaffolding like shelves which sure, have yeah. like with different tanks of animals and he like shoves it over to like kind of clear his escape and one of the things that breaks open is the spider tank 
And, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, are you OK? Are you like everyone? Are you? And then while that's happening, Peter gets bit. He's like, oh, what the hell bit me? You know, and it's like, yeah, and OK, turns and finds the spider dead. And it's like, what the fuck? Um, or maybe he slaps it and like kills the spider. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this whole thing where it's like that. W- we don't know yet who hired Steve Buscemi. And we do the whole thing, like you said, like he got photos of him and the cops are like, you know, well, can you help us? And he's like, this is not for you. This is for, you know, my friend's extra credit report type of thing. Like, screw you, buddy. You know, and then the same robber ends up killing Uncle Ben. Maybe like Uncle Ben was like waiting to pick Peter up. Um, oh, you know, yeah. After the yeah. thing. And then, like, you know, Steve Buscemi runs out there, fucking shoots, you know, shoots him, you know, steals the car, takes off. And, like, you know, obviously we do the thing where it's like Peter finds out after the fact that he could have stopped it from happening. You know, like, mm-hmm. make, I don't know how we bridge that that gap of, like, have him go out there and find Uncle Ben, you know, so we can get the, we can get, like, the dying breath scene. Or maybe we don't even have that. Maybe we have the scene uh, before where we see Uncle Ben like giving Peter, you know, uh, giving him the, the sage wisdom of with great power comes great responsibility. Maybe Peter is like complaining about like, you know, I don't want I, I don't want to spend my time doing this type of research like this isn't what I want to do with my life. And maybe he tells him, you know, like, Peter, you're extremely smart. You're a bright kid. Like you have a very, uh, a very talented gift. You know, and he's like, you have to use that to help people. And he tells him, like, with great power comes great responsibility. The whole thing, like, you you can help the betterment of mankind with your intelligence type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes off on this tour that he doesn't want to be there for and yada, yada, yada. All this stuff happens. He's a dick to the cops, kind of like, a you know, the annoying senior in high school. Like, fuck you. I'm almost out. You know, that type of thing. And then he goes outside and we see, like, the the. We see the, the the police line, you know, the body bag maybe, and like him realize like, oh no, you know, like and realize who who was killed. So yeah, no, that, that's perfect. I, I like that too because then we can open the movie with him with you know Uncle Ben, right? Or maybe we open him open the movie the very first scene like we see he's at home with you know his aunt and his uncle, you know some some comment that Aunt May makes about like, oh, you look just like your father, you know, and you know, mm-hmm. he was he was so smart and sharp, just like you. Yeah, exactly. And he's just like, oh, man, shut up, you know, and <laughs> right? yeah, and they leave in the car ride. And so they have Clancy Brown and John Cusack have this whole talk in the car where they're telling the audience like, oh, you know, you're, you know, Peter, you're so smart and, you know, you skipped ninth grade or, you know, whatever. And, you know, right. and, uh, you, you know, Jack, you have Jack Lemon. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Jack Lemon, Clancy Brown's the Captain Stacy. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, uh, yeah, but they have this whole conversation, like you said, and it leads up to the, uh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility line. And then Peter's just like, oh, I roll and whatever, dad, you know, or whatever. Right. Uncle. <laughs> and yeah, goes off inside. Again, we, he meets up with Winona Ryder, with Betty Brandt, like you said, and everything we just talked about. They go inside and it's like the big exhibit. Peter Peter's bored, you know, and Betty's the one all excited. And really, Peter should be interested in the science stuff. But, you know, Betty's excited because it's like this great story. And, yeah, to your point, Steve Buscemi comes in and and he like tries to like rob the place and runs off with some notes or something uh, that he can bring to his mysterious boss. And, you know, Peter gets pictures of it and like doesn't stop him or say anything, doesn't want to help. You know, or maybe he sees the cops coming and he like hides the camera like, oh, I don't even want them to ask me, you know. And yeah, uh, 
right? And then and then he's walking home with Betty, and maybe you know she's or walking back to the car, and maybe she's like, hey Peter, like why didn't you like show them? You had pictures, right? You had pictures of that guy. Well, you didn't show the police, and he's like, yeah, I didn't want to get involved. Like I'm not a hero, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, and my my uncle's always trying to tell me that like I need to use you know my head for more, but you know, blah 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 blah. You know, I just you know that's not me. You know, that was that was my dad. I'm always living in like the shadow of my dad. He was like this genius that everybody loved, and that you know that's not me. And um, or maybe his dad was like a like a firefighter, like a hero, you know, somebody right. who saved people's lives, you know, and um, and then, yeah, so they're kind of walking down the street and then, you know, they hear something, they hear uh, some sirens or a screech of tires or something. And then, you know, maybe Betty's like, oh, it's, you know, it's oh, it's over there. And, you know, Peter's like, I was supposed to meet my uncle there. He was going to pick me up. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, and runs off. Right. And, yeah, and exactly, we get the whole that whole sad scene where you know he shows up and he's like, you know, man, I could have I could have stopped that guy, you know, that robber guy, you know, I was right there, I watched him do it, you know, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, so then we can then we're gonna like fast forward, right, a year or two, right, and and Peter's in college now and. Betty's working at the the Daily Bugle. Maybe she you know she dropped out of school or only goes there part time. So. Um, I don't want know that I necessarily want to go through like every story beat because I think if you know the story of Peter Parker, like from here, it kind of makes sense. But we definitely got to show him secretly being Spider-Man and we should do it soon because we haven't oh, seen yeah. Spider-Man in the movie yet. You know, um, I, I still think a cold opening is the way to go with that. Like we, yeah, we just okay. see like a, a Spider-Man fight. Like we open the movie with like uh, how we could even do this. OK, hold on. Hold on. So this, we open the movie with like some robbers at a convenience store, just like a like a little corner shop in uh in New York City or like like a little um oh god what's the the word I'm looking for like a bodega bodega thank you I could not think of the freaking word it was escape escaping me so yeah you have like the these three armed robbers like you know at a bodega like holding it up and we get we meet Eddie Brock you know we have him like okay. taking photos from across the street like oh my god like you know look at this. And then Spider-Man swings in, beats the shit out of these guys, webs them up. Maybe like we, it's almost in shadow, like webs them up. And the whole time Brock is like taking photos like this is gold, like that type of a thing. And then like we see, you know, like maybe Spidey gives some some quip to him, you know, like kind of like gives him a little nod and swings away. And then we see like, you know, maybe later at the Daily Bugle. Peter selling pictures of the same thing and Brock being like all like, oh, like, oh, you, <laughs> you know, that that type of thing. And like this way, we could kind of introduce the character because I mean, even if we don't have Venom in this movie, he, he would definitely be in a sequel to 90s. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, we would have to, like, lay some groundwork for for some of these characters. Um, So, yeah, so we have like a cold opening with that. And then maybe we do the thing where it's like. Peter goes home like we see him like he goes to an apartment or to his dorm or whatever and like maybe he looks at a photo of like him Uncle Ben and Aunt May like on his counter and then we kind of zoom in on the photo and we 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 cut to like uh, three years earlier and we see him sitting at the the kitchen table with Uncle Ben and Aunt May and he's kind of like being annoyed like I don't want to go on this trip blah 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 and then we do the whole origin like we talked about and then you know, we do the whole thing with like him, you know, with Peter staring down at like, you know, maybe Uncle Ben as they're they're taking him away in the in the fucking ambulance. And just like we we zoom zoom in on Peter's eyes and we zoom out and it's present day again. And like Peter just kind of like rubs his face and like goes about his business. And then we cut to the next scene. So it's kind of yeah, one of those things perfect. where it's like 
We get the cold opening of Spidey. We introduce another character, get the origin story. Boom, back. We're in we're into the main story. Yeah, no, that's absolutely perfect. I was I was going to say something very similar as soon as you were like, no, we got to have Spider-Man in the cold open. It's like, OK, yeah, you got to have him. He sees something that reminds him of this, you know, uh, key moment in his past. And, then, mm-hmm. you know, we, we bring back to the present. Um, so, OK, so I don't really have like plot points beat by beat for anything beyond this. I think we should have. You know, a couple of sort of not I won't say filler scenes, but we got to kind of fill in the middle of the movie with like now we see Spider-Man modern day again, you know, uh, you know, beating up some criminals or stopping people. And and um, what, what I was thinking was we introduce uh, Captain Stacy uh, as, you know, somebody or or Gwen Stacy as Peter's girlfriend or someone, you know, who has a crush on him at school. And maybe, you know, he, he, he's a nerd, so he doesn't really think, oh, this cute blonde has like a crush on me, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, they're, maybe they're talking and, you know, she says something about, oh, my dad, you know, he's a police captain and, oh, he hates that Spider-Man guy. Like, oh, he's like a, he's like a vigilante, you know, and of course he's like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, and uh, right. you know, we, they can kind of have a little talk that way. Um, Cause I, I, I think that Gwen Stacy should, I like her as the, like sort of a love interest in this story, just like she was uh, in Peter's life and important to Peter Parker in the comics before, you know, he was with Mary Jane. And I'm just going to jump ahead because I, I want to explain what I want to do with Craven. And I think that will kind of like sum up uh, like the point of this particular movie. Okay. So I'm thinking that between uh, Jay Jonah Jameson and Captain Stacy, like, you know, obviously they're trying to drum up, public dislike for spider-man like they they want to sort of ruin his reputation people think he's a hero but maybe over the last year or two that he's come out and become a costumed hero and now between the police and j jonah jameson who loves to get get quotes from captain stacy bagging on spider-man you know like Mm -hmm. it's like they're turning the public perception against him and i think that that's an important aspect of this or at least they're trying to and we i want to introduce Osborne, Norman Osborne. Uh, if we go with uh, what's it, John Lithgow, we picked, right? Mm-hmm. We introduced Norman Osborne, and yeah, he's like this, you know, he's this corporate mover and shaker. I don't want to see him in the Goblin costume. I just want to see him as like the, he's the Lex Luthor in this movie, right? He yes. is the corporate industrialist, always in his suit, always prim and proper, but like he's a little bit unhinged under the surface, you know? And, right. Uh, and we see just like in the Sam Raimi movie, it's like he's trying to get like military contracts to sell, you know, big buck things to the the government. So he's into weapons and he's into like transports and he wants to get into like super soldier shit, which is why we find out, you know, he he secretly funded Buscemi to go and steal some stuff from those two fucking nerds, you know, <laughs> from, exactly. from Connors and Octavius. And, you know, he has this sort of like, you know, uh you know it's like he, he sort of dismisses everybody from you know his office and is so he has he opens up like a like a hidden you know door in in the back of his like big uh you know suite at the top of a high rise and Buscemi comes in all like right, i got what you asked for boss yeah yeah see <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> i wasn't giving him a sign <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know so um but at at, at this point too or well, of course, this is a couple of years later after the initial thing, but like Buscemi's like still working for him because we got to make that connection. But in this case, it was like he stole maybe he stole something else, or you know he he was spying on somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we find out is that Norman he was he's pissed off 
that he wasn't able to like replicate Connors and Octavius's uh, biological research. He wasn't able to replicate it from what Buscemi stole. Maybe he makes some comment about like, oh, you're going to fuck this up the way you you know, screwed up when, mm-hmm. when I wanted you to steal, you know, current Connor's research. Um, and, but he also knows that Spider-Man's out there because he's, you know, he's reading the, reading the Daily Bugle and mm-hmm. or maybe that's how we were first seeing like the Daily Bugle, you know, in these old movies, you'd see someone like slam the newspaper down on a table and then you pan up and see their face. And, right, yep. and we see Osborne looking at more pictures and he's like, this guy, where does this guy come from with these spider powers? Like, it's mm-hmm. no, co- it's no coincidence that I wanted you to get the research from Connors, and he was working with animals like spiders, and now this guy, like, and the timing is very suspicious, you know, Steve mm-hmm. Buscemi. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe he's like, I need you to find out who this guy is. Go spy on him for me, you know. And and so Osborne hates him, and mm-hmm. we have we, we we can have a couple of uh, a couple of you know, scenes where, yeah, we see Spider-Man maybe stopping a, stopping a crime and maybe Buscemi's there taking pictures of him, spying on him or something. Or hell, maybe he even like makes a deal with Eddie Brock. Like, hey, oh, you know, take a picture, of the, get me some pictures of the Spider-Man guy. And, but I, I want him just for me. Follow him home. You know, whatever. Right. Something, something like that, right? Um, but what's going to eventually happen is that because Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson and Captain Stacy are like turning to public perception against Spider-Man, um, eventually, Osborne is going to get frustrated that Steve Buscemi, you know, he, he, he's going to take him out because he's worthless. He's useless. He's proven himself useless, right? He's <laughs> like, and he's like, I, I can't take down Spider Man. You know, like, I, I hired these criminals to kill him and they couldn't kill him. And, you know, no one stops him and he's just a thorn in my side. But I want this guy. And that's what he wants. He just wants him to, you know, for like research, you know, purposes. Like, I need your body. Bring me your body so I can find out what's in your blood. Um, right. So he hires Craven. He 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 decides that he's gonna hire Craven the Hunter, the, the the guy who says he can you know track and hunt and capture anything. And he's like, fucking prove it then. Come to New York and catch me the Spider Man. And it's going to be like this big media thing where it's going to be in the papers. Oh, Craven's coming. Craven's coming. And of course, at this point, people aren't, don't really like Spider-Man as much because he's mm-hmm. been smeared. And so, you know, no one's it's really going to be like people are like rooting for like, yeah, Craven, go get him. Go get that, you know, uh, vigilante thug. We don't need him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so then, yeah, I, I, what I want to do is I want to have, you know, Craven comes in, tries to catch Spider-Man. Spider-Man gets away. He's embarrassed. He goes back to Osborne. It's like, I need more gear i need better shit you know and, right and uh, i'm just picturing this one scene where osborne is like you know come with me go to the to the armory and he's he's got the fucking glider like the goblin glider right and he's like oh like this is this is a new a new experimental one we call it the goblin mark one or whatever you know yep yep <laughs> Because, I mean, I would love to see fucking Craven the Hunter flying around on a goblin glider with, like, uh, compound bows and shit trying to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> like, that would just be a fun thing to see in a movie. Um, that really would be. And if Craven is Craven is fucking evil, Mel Gibson's unhinged, and I would love to do some variation of that scene that Sam Raimi did in the first Spider-Man where he replaced Drew Barrymore, or he replaced uh, Gwen Stacy with uh, Mary Jane. But that famous mm-hmm. scene from the comics where in the comics it's Green Goblin, and he basically has like, you know, like a cable car full of innocent civilians on one hand and, and Spider-Man's girlfriend on the other hand. And he's like, you got to save one of them. 
and uh, you know Spider-Man tries to save them both. In the movie, it works out, but in the original comics, it doesn't. And Gwen Stacy right. fa- famously dies. The death of Gwen Stacy is a really you know famous storyline. So mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting. Again, it's the 90s, so we're changing shit arbitrarily, right? But right. at the same time, trying to pick good storylines from the comics. So yeah, we have we have uh, Craven. At first, he fails, and then he goes and gears up with better stuff, and then he he pulls off the he maybe he finds out who Peter Parker really is, or at least he notices that you know he likes that he likes that blonde chick a whole hell of a lot. And he, mm. he, he does the uh, the Sophie's choice between save these innocent civilians or save this blonde chick. And, uh, you know, Spider-Man has to make a choice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that definitely <laughs> worked. <laughs> so I know that was a whole lot, but that's where I was coming. I just wanted to get Craven in this movie. And it's like we can do some of these famous storylines, but with a villain we haven't seen in real life on right. the screen yet. Yeah. So, no, I really dig the Craven idea. I think Mel Gibson as Craven is fucking sweet. Um, definitely dig that here. Like, I know we gotta, we gotta wrap this up cause we're both running out of time. Unfortunately, life is always getting in the way of our creativity. Um, but here's the, the, the story beats that I had written down at when we first talked about, like, if we were to do a Spider-Man movie in the nineties, like what would the story be? And one of the things I was thinking about is like back in the nineties, it was always like, try to get, you know, like just fill these movies with pandemonium. You know, it's like if you look at the Batman movies, it was like every fucking scene craziness was happening. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so it's like what would how could we fit a ton of stuff in? And, of course, you know, always thinking franchise, like what's the next movie going to be? So let, let's let's do everything the way we mentioned, you know, the the uh, origin story, the the whole uh, college thing, the robber stealing something for mysterious benefactor, all that. What I was thinking is we when we. Fast forward into the into the future where Peter's at college, he starts kind of working with Kurt and Octavius um, almost because like because, again, taking what his Uncle Ben had said to him about, like, you know, you have a gift, you know, use that to help people, blah, blah, blah. So he's he's trying to help Otto and Kurt, you know, come up with ways to help to, to advance medical science. So okay. much to the dismay of both Otto and Peter Kurt seems to be getting more and more down this rabbit trail of like splicing animal DNA with human DNA rather than trying to like replicate uh, what these animals do he's trying to like actually merge the two so they okay. keep trying to tell him like don't do that blah 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 eventually you know he becomes a lizard as we expect so now Otto and Peter are trying to keep it hush hush meanwhile Spider-Man is trying to catch Dr. Kurt Connors. While this is going on, we have murders start happening around the city. Like, and of course, Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson, mm-hmm. is going to blame Spider-Man. You yeah. know, uh, <laughs> Captain Stacy going to blame Spider-Man. You know, Eddie Brock's going to be out there trying to catch Spider-Man in the act. Um, and meanwhile, Spider-Man is trying to catch his friend who he thinks, oh shit, in his lizard form, he's committing these murders. Because maybe people are like torn the fuck up, like shredded, like, you know, real sadistic shit. So movie rolls along and maybe we could even do like the whole, uh, as far as Mary Jane, Harry, Flash and Gwen is concerned, maybe we can even do the thing where it's like, they're just friends of his at college. You know, maybe Harry is interested in, um, Mary Jane, you know, and but you know, secretly she's kind of got eyes for Peter, 
Uh, but Peter's more interested in in Gwen, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be big. We could just have those characters. Yeah, they can just be like a group of friends who hang out and chit chat, and they don't all have to have like their own story arc in this movie. They hang out at the Peach Pit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, so what I was thinking is the the movie would basically culminate around Peter trying to stop Kurt. Um, you know, Otto. Again, you know, he's just there kind of as a future character um, and the whole thing with Eddie, again, future character. Yep. yep so, yeah, we, we'd have, uh, you know, we have this whole fight with with Peter and the lizard, you know, or with Spider-Man and the lizard. You know, maybe he's able to safely take down the lizard, um, you know, turns him back to his human form and unfortunately has to, like, turn in his friend. So he's arrested you know, so he won't harm anybody else again, um, you know, because maybe he still thinks like, you know, the, the lizard is responsible for killing all those people. Um, so we, we fast forward, you know, lizards in jail, all that. And we end the movie or we get close to the end of the movie with we see the real killer is none other than Cletus Cassidy, who is this serial killer. Okay. who's out there murdering people and maybe Spidey stops him. Like maybe that's like the, the final act is like he, you know, he, he stops, uh, you know, stops Cletus. He gets him in jail, yada, yada, yada. So now we, we, we know we, the character is on the board. Like we know he's going to be there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole time I feel like Norman could just kind of be in the background pulling strings. Cause what I was thinking was like part two would revolve around some kind of medical experiment going horribly wrong. Take a page out of the uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man book, and oh, yeah. sim- the symbiote is created in the lab. Yeah. So yeah, not, an, not alien. an alien. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then maybe like you know whether it, it latches onto Spidey. Like yeah, we could even do the whole thing where it latches onto Spidey first. You know, he like has to break free of it. Like it's feeding on his emotions. It's turning him more and more violent. Um, we could have Eddie get caught up with it somehow and his hatred for Peter, both the symbiote's hatred for Peter for shedding him and, you know, Eddie's hatred for Peter. They joined together. Now we have Venom in the mix. That movie, of course, could end with Eddie going to jail and the symbiote mm-hmm. trying to rescue him. And then Cletus getting part of the symbiote, yada, yada, yada. Um, and the third and final movie could be <laughs> Spider-Man trying to face off against the two fucking symbiotes. Meanwhile, Norman finally got his funding, you know, or, like <laughs> figured out everything he wanted to do. And we have the fucking Green Goblin in the mix because um, nice. he always got to go big for the third one. So <laughs> but that's just kind of like the story beats that I was originally thinking, although I really like the idea of Craven the Hunter, um, you know, hunting spider-man down on some green goblin gear i like that a lot so what if what if we go with that idea but instead of norman being the one to uh fund this whole thing maybe again maybe we we soft pedal norman's involvement jay jonah is constantly like you know we gotta take this guy down we could even do some of the other uh story beats like we could have these murders taking place that jonah is convinced is the spider-man you know it's not Mm -hmm. cassidy it's the spider-man um, and then maybe Norman could approach Jonah and be like, I'll tell you what, I want this guy taken down too. I'm going to fund a, you know, a, a big publicity stunt for you. Like, I don't want any credit. You take credit for it, Jonah. You know, here's a shitload of money. Hire this guy and publicize it. 
and basically get the public against Spider-Man. Get, you know, and, and so, yeah. of course, Jonah's going to make this whole fucking media circus because wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, Craven's introduction, wasn't it Jonah who brought in Craven in the first place? I believe it was. Yeah, I think so. And that's and that's a big part of why I wanted to make sure we got the Daily Bugle in there, because I really mm-hmm. wanted Craven. So I think I have a way to make it work, if, but I'll let you finish. Well, yeah, I was just thinking that we, we would do the same thing that you said only have in the, the the only change is soft pedal Norman's involvement as far as like we as the viewer know he's involved but like the people in the story other than Jonah doesn't know he's involved so maybe even Harry doesn't know like maybe Harry is secretly a Spider-Man fan like he's like I think he's cool <laughs> yeah. you know that type of a thing for um, sure so yeah so it's it's all hush hush for now I I think that that's great so here- this might be a little uh, over the top, but I think it'll work. We're talking about James Cameron, right? James Cameron mm-hmm. is the director. He's going to go over the top. He's going to go action scenes. It's going to be a long movie, right? Because Terminator oh, 2, absolutely. The Abyss, Titanic, these are all like pretty long movies. So we can. he's going to try to cram as much in there as he possibly can while he has the chance, you know? Mm-hmm. So what if we did this? What if it, What if we moved the, the cold open sequence where we introduced Eddie Brock in the pictures and we move that to after the flashback. And we start off with a big, badass cold open, action packed, where we do this thing where it's like as the, you know, as the screen comes up, the movie starts, you're seeing like covers of the Daily Bugle, like spin up to the screen, you know, and you're yep. seeing the headlines. And it's like, you know, third murder in a week, like New York City on lockdown. Like, here's the next paper. And it's like, you know, the serial killer still on the loose. You know, everybody advised to stay at home or whatever. You know, and it's like there's something dangerous, like, you know, like brutal murder spree continues, you know. <laughs> and, right. Um, and then. You we we see you know this this dark figure you know uh who like who like this big this big hulking dark figure like runs into like a sewer you know drain or something right and then you see you know a smaller you know dark figure come down on some webs and like follow him and we we have this the scene where it's like you're just starting with there's a monster in the sewer. And, you know, this hero is coming and then like, oh, shit, it's Spider-Man, you know, and Spider-Man, you know, he's like, you know, uh, he says, Dr. Connors, please, you have to stop this. I know it's you. And then, you know, the camera turns to the monster who turns his head into the light and it's, oh, fuck, it's like, you know, the fucking big lizard creature, you know, (laughs) right. And then he's just like, you know, like, I don't want to hurt you, you know, Dr. Connors, like I can help you, you know, and then, of course, they have a big fight and they're splashing in the sewer and all this stuff. And, you know, and Spider-Man takes him down and he knocks him out and he like, you know, transforms back into this human. And you see it's like this regular, you know, dude with with like one arm. And who do we say this was going to be uh, like William oh, Sadler? William Sadler. Right? Yep. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, he, he takes him out and he gets him to the police and he tells them, you know, he's like, uh, you know, they're, they're going to get you the help that you need, doctor or Stranger, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> and so we have this big action packed sequence and then the cops are like, yo, you caught the killer. And you know, who are you? Like, what, what, what do we call you? And of course he's like, I'm just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then you get, and then you get yep. the nineties, right? I want to get a red hot chili peppers playing like this. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fuck yeah. The old cartoon theme song all funked out, right? You get the you get the credit sequence. Um, yeah, and then 
we, we do this thing where it's like, you know, we, we see that same Spider-Man. Like he gets home and takes his costume off, takes his mask off. Oh, sweet, it's John Cusack. He's, or he's in his dorm room or whatever. He sees the, the photograph of Uncle Ben, has the whole flashback. We do the entire flashback sequence like we said we were going to do. And then he flashes back to the present. And then he's like, maybe he hears like a siren or he hears like an alarm go off, like a like a bank alarm or something. And he's like, oh, like. Never a dull day, whatever. Puts his mask back on, jumps out the window. He goes and stops some guys who are, like, knocking up an ATM or whatever. And then you see, like, click, 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 click. And, like, oh, here's, you know, fucking Eddie Brock on the scene to, like, get the pictures, you know. And it's, mm-hmm. like, we're just we're just going beat, 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 beat. We're going to just hit him, like, fast, 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 fast. Eddie Brock gets the pictures. And then, like, the next day, he's, like, at the Daily Bugle. He's, like, look, boss. Like, look at these awesome pictures I got of Spider-Man stopping the criminals. And, of course, Jane, Jane Jonah Jameson is just, like, you know, like, get out of here. I got better pictures already from this guy, you know. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and then then John Cusack walks in and he's like, sorry, Eddie, you know, like, and Eddie's just like, oh, shucks, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> foiled again. <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see Betty Brant's working there. because we met, we met her in the flashback, you know, and she's working there. And then we get this whole introduction of and then you have all these characters and, you know, J. John Jameson is screaming and yelling. Ah, and, you know, Denzel Washington <laughs> comes in. This Robbie Robertson is like, you know, Jonah, you know, you got to calm down. You know, <laughs> <laughs> get your blood pressure, boy. Exactly. And maybe and maybe it's Peter who's like, you know, could I get like, you know, paid for the pictures? And Jameson's like, what do you mean paid? I, I talk to talk to the, you know, to the girl at the front, whatever. And of course, you know, Denzel Washington's like, here's a check, son. You know, like he yeah. said, he said the voice of reason. You know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then it's like we get all we get the lizard, we get the whole flashback with like we now we get to see who the Kurt Connors was he was talking to like in the flashback, right? We see the Doc Ock, and then yeah, and then he leaves the he leaves the the maybe Betty's like, hey Peter, are you going back to the dorm? And he's like, oh no, I got to go to work first, you know, like oh the day never ends, and he goes off to like you know the lab at, at like the college or whatever where he's working with Doctor Octavius still, you know, and he tells him it's like. You know, he's like, oh, I heard uh, I heard somebody caught uh, Dr. Connors. Did you hear, you know, <laughs> whatever. You right. Know? It's like he's trying not to, like, let it on, you know, the, that he knows. And um, yeah. And then, you know, and then he works for a little while. Maybe the, maybe the next day we get to, we get a, a quiet sequence where now they're at like the diner hanging out with like Flash and Harry. And we get like a cool dialogue sequence. And they're talking about what they're going to do. And of course, you know, like, oh, Peter, you never come along with us and have any fun. You're always studying or working or doing something like what is it that you do at night all the time? Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then we do we can do that sequence where we meet, you know, or maybe Harry's like, oh, I gotta stop in my dad's office first. Like, I'll meet you guys later, you know, blah blah blah. That's just a segue to get us to the, the you know Norman Osborn's office. You know, he sees his dad, and John Lithgow is all like, oh, hey, your son, how's it going? All super happy. And as soon as he leaves, you know, he like pushes a button, and he's just like, you know, get in here. <laughs> <laughs> and his like thugs come in, and you know, we have a little sequence about like, uh, you know, whatever. Like, it's been a couple years since the flashback sequence with Steve Buscemi, but you know, there's some back and forth about like this this spider-man guy still out there and then and then maybe we get the sequence where it's like um you know like uh they, they run they run up you know they run a story in the bugle like you know uh you know monster caught in the sewers you know killer still a large and you know, of course, Peter's like, what do you mean killer so large? Like, I got him. And then maybe the next day, like someone else gets murdered. He's like, what? Like, it wasn't Dr. Connors, you know? Yeah. And, and then we, we kind of have a little bit of a mystery where, like, Peter's balancing his day life with trying to like, hang out with his friends and work with Dr. Octavius. But then at night, he's, like, trying to follow the killer. He does. He busts Cletus. It's not a big thing. Like, you know, maybe, you know, for the second act of the movie or whatever, he busts Cletus, puts him in jail. Um, and this is where... Maybe this is where it's like, you know, uh, Denzel Washington's character, Robbie Robertson, he's he's trying to be like, like, 
look, Jonah, like you have to run the story. Spider-Man caught the serial killer. Like he's the hero. And of course, James is like, I'll never run that trash. Like, you know, like he was in on it. I swear they were, they, they were in on it together. You know, it's all a sham. <laughs> oh, we could, we could even do something where Jonah's like, he didn't catch the killer. He framed an innocent man. He was the killer and I'll prove it, you know? Yeah, and then he does yeah. the whole thing where he get maybe, maybe before Spider-Man catches Cletus, we have Norman, you know, funding Jonah being like, you need to catch this guy. Like maybe he even you maybe he even plants the seed in Jonah's ear of like, we both know who this killer is. You know, think about it. And, and all the city, like who could it possibly be? You know, and he plants the seed of like, don't trust it. It's definitely Spider-Man. Now, a couple days later, you know, comes out like, oh, serial killer caught. And Jonah's like, bullshit. You know, he framed an innocent guy. It's Spider-Man and I'll prove it. And that's when he hires Craven to come in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with with like uh, Norman's money, you know, he hires exactly. Craven. Yeah, Craven <laughs> comes in like he famously he comes to town. He's like, oh, like, oh, please, no pictures. But of course, he's bas- basking in the attention. You know, he fucking loves it. You know, get, have Mel Gibson use his like old Australian accent, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. yeah, he has, So he has to have a failed attempt to catch Spider-Man like, OK, this guy is more. Uh, you know, he's tougher and, you know, he's more of a of an opponent than I thought he was going to be. So, yeah, Craven goes back to, you know, maybe he goes back to Jonah and he's like, you know, I need more money. I need more gear or whatever. And Jonah's like, what do you mean? You're, sh- you know, you're a scam artist trying to, like, you know, <laughs> you know, shake me down for more money. Catch him like you said you would. <laughs> I knew you were a fake all along. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and then, yeah. And then but then, of course, you know, somebody gets the word to Norman or Norman's already there for some reason. And he's just like you know oh come with me son you know yeah he takes craven to his little armory he's like you know take whatever you want it's like christmas you know and mm. like oh oh yeah i see you like that glider that's the goblin you know and you know yes. whatever. and uh yeah and then craven goes on the hunt again but this time instead of just going directly for like catching spider-man now he's gonna track him he's gonna follow him maybe he finds out who he is maybe he's or he you know he's or maybe he sees spider-man like you know he rescued that blonde girl twice already you know what's up with that you know whatever mm-hmm. the, the gwen stacy right somehow I don't know if I necessarily want him to find out his identity right away, because, of course, I feel like he would tell Osborne. But there's got to be some connection between Spider-Man and, and Gwen Stacy so that Craven decides, oh, I'm going to use her as my bait, you know. And then, right. of course, of course, we do the whole sequence where he lures Spider-Man out between, like, you know, who are you going to save? You know, this girl you seem to like or this, uh, you know, busload of innocent people. But then, of course, the question is, do we have Spider-Man rescue everybody, including Gwen Stacy and like take down the hunter and you know kind of out him to like the legitimate press that you know he was just a killer or do we have Gwen Stacy die do we do the death of Gwen Stacy in our first Spider-Man movie I don't know I mean I feel like yes for one reason because if we do do the Venom and Cletus story in the next movie we would need Peter to be kind of rageful So if he fails, like if Gwen dies, you know, like, yeah, maybe he beats the fucking hell out of Craven, like, like Mm -hmm. puts the dude in traction type of like, like unbridled rage. And now in the next movie, like if we, if we were to, to jump into the sequel, you know, we would start off with maybe Peter's having like trouble controlling his anger, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. But what if I can't be responsible, that type of thing? Yeah, and like, yeah. you know, so now the whole time, like he's just he's just angry, but he's helping he's helping Doc Ock, you know, work on this whatever chemical compound that they're working on to like, you know, maybe, maybe again, they're trying to do the regrowth thing. They're trying to like honor Kurt's, uh, you know, Kurt's 
studies and be like, mm-hmm. we need to to learn to regrow human tissue. And maybe that was the point of the symbiote to begin with, is it would latch onto a host body and slowly, almost like nanotech, would like slowly mm-hmm. start to regrow tissue. But instead, it feeds off of not only the person's body, but it feeds off of their emotions, their desires. It's almost like a sentient creature in and of itself. So, like, it latches on to Peter. Like, maybe they do something like, okay, time to test it. And, like, Peter, like, cuts his hand and they drip, like, a single drop of the symbiote on it and watch as it, like, slowly heals the wound. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they're like, holy crap, it worked. Eventually, it, you know, it latches on to Peter you know, we do the whole emotional thing of like he can't contain his rage, so he becomes like a very brutal Spider-Man. Like maybe he's like trying to stop a car thief, and he like punches the hood of the car, and the whole fucking thing flips. You know, right. and he's just like, holy shit. You know, like we we do that whole thing, and we would need something to catapult Peter from the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man to piss the fuck off Spider-Man. And I think the death of Gwen Stacy in the first movie would do that. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I like that too. Like. Gwen dies and then Spider-Man just beats the holy living hell out of Craven. But it's all being like televised right at this point, right? It's all in the media camera cameras and reporters and television crews have all come out. And now, you know, maybe, you know, the, we see on the news, they're like, Oh, you know, Spider-Man, like the hero, like he stopped this, uh, you know, maniac, this Craven guy, he kidnapped this girl and like held this like bus of people for, you know, as like hostage, like, Holy crap. Like who, who, who hired this guy who invited him here, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe that back at the bugle offices, you see like, uh, you see J. Jonah Jameson and he's like trying, he's doing a paste up, like a mock-up for the, the next day's paper, you know? And he's like, you know, uh, Craven, a fraud, Spider-Man in on it or whatever. And Robbie <laughs> right. Robertson, walks in and is just like jonah we need to talk you know and it's like that's like the end of it you know like he's like yeah robbie robertson is gonna finally be like look you gotta stop this you know and so instead when the paper comes out it's like spider-man's a hero you know and uh one dead in tragic downtown accident with australian you know game hunter or whatever you know whatever the <laughs> the headline is but it's fraudulent like, hunter <laughs> Yeah, fraudulent hunter, one one dead, you know, three injured in tragic accident, Spider-Man the hero. Yeah, so that's why Spider-Man kind of wins out. Now everyone likes him again. The perception has shifted from we don't like him to now we like him. He's a big hero. You know, he stopped the villain, and obviously Peter knows he stopped the serial killer. He stopped the lizard monster. He stopped Craven. Like, yeah, he's a big fucking hero. But at the end of the day, like, you know, Gwen died, and so, yeah, he's going to be super depressed at the end of the movie but he's got to keep going he, he can't stop being spider-man because with great power comes great responsibility yep i dig it yeah me too me too i know uh this one ran a little bit long and we both got to go and i kind of feel like we were you know trying to wrap it up here at the end but i'm glad we took the time to like put a bow on it and i think it works we did paint in broad strokes but i still think we kind of mapped out the three acts of the movie pretty well and i I dig it like i feel like there's a lot of stuff here and it feels like a james cameron movie because man he likes to pack stuff in oh god yeah (laughs) like he's kind of known for it (laughs) and look, look at his avatar stuff like he thinks in like you know three four and five movies at a time you know like i mean hell he even wanted to come back to aliens on two occasions because yep. he had more aliens ideas. But, you know, like, yeah. So I feel like, you know, the, the, if, if he had if he had the reins, he would pack a lot of shit in in the hopes that maybe we get a part two. Maybe we get a part three, you know. Yeah, uh, I think we could. Yeah, for sure. To your point, we do the whole Venom thing in the second movie, you know, maybe Carnage in the third movie. We get Doc Ock in there somewhere. 
you know, and I think we end this first movie in a similar way to the first Sam Raimi one where it's like at a funeral, they're at Gwen's funeral and, you know, and maybe Peter's friends are trying to cheer him up and, you know, or maybe Harry even says, hey, I can get you a, da- a job working with my dad, you know, and he's like, you know, he has to turn it all down because, you know, he, he has to keep devoting his time to working with Dr. Octavius to, you know, complete the research and, you know, secretly have that free time that he needs. But of course, you know, he's going to walk off and feel like, you know, he can't have the life that he wants because, you know, he's burdened with this responsibility and, you know, kind of ended on a serious note. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mentioned Red Hot Chili Peppers earlier. And uh, I was thinking like that first Sam Raimi movie too, they had that Nickelback theme song, right? That was like a big <laughs> deal. And I was like, who's the Nickelback of like the mid nineties that would do like the maudlin theme song over the credits. And all I could think of was live, you know, the band. Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They did like, you know, lightning like... <laughs> pressure. Exactly. Yeah. And they would do some theme song about like, you know, like, well, uh, you know, the, the day we truly need a hero or something, you know, like, and it would be su- <laughs> super, you know, like uh, sappy. <laughs> nice. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I think we did it, man. Definitely. No, I, I think uh, I think this would have been this would have been something that the fans would have uh, eaten up. Hell, I know I would have. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I would have been all over it. And I love all the fan servers of trying to stick in a whole bunch of characters, you know, fit a bunch of them in. And we'll put some more in the sequels, obviously. And, you know, we had a lot of fun doing the fan cast, even though we didn't get to, you know, Mysterio or Vulture or any of them. But whatever. <laughs> right. Those are always the fun parts of the episodes. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, with that, I think we should wrap it up, and I'll let everyone know once again that they can find out more about this show at RaisedByRentals.com or at RaisedByRentals on all the socials. And we are a part of the Rad Pantheon, a super team of podcasters, artists, musicians, you name it. It's an art collective of creative friends supporting each other and helping to spread the word about Rad stuff. So if you like this show, there's a good chance you'll dig one or more of the Rad Pantheon teammate projects. Mike, you got some of those going on. Indeed. Uh, The Boogeyman's Closet is back from hiatus. Uh, We are doing our all Nightmare on Elm Street month. Uh, There will still be two specials, one that doesn't involve Nightmare on Elm Street and one that does. Um, So we will have that coming out all this month. And uh, also Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash, where three grown man children bitch about pop culture and talk about toys. (laughs) <laughs> always a good time always a good time so yeah i w- will encourage everyone to check out radpantheon.com and radpantheon on the socials for all the other projects so i won't have to list them off here if you listen to count creepy head saturday morning monster mash though uh michael omay does a good job of trying to plug everybody uh every week and so i think that is awesome and definitely keep it up you can find out more about what I do on Instagram at Comics Boost. Just spell that with an X, Comics Boost, on Instagram, where I spotlight crowdfund campaigns for comic book projects. And uh, with that, thanks, everyone, once again, for tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. If you had fun with us, let us know what you think. Leave a comment. Leave a podcast rating. Tell us what you think we should improv, improve next time. And with that, I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a 
web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up. Wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find a Spider-Man.